everyone to another exciting episode of anime was not a mistake as always i'm i'm that angry youth dan ryan mm. joined by my co-host i'm jonathan kwiatkowski and oh my god cocaine bear get away from malala <laughs> i cringed so hard i shut the tv off for a i little blacked bit. out it wasn't until i was wiping the cocaine off my hands i even knew it was happening dan <laughs> i uh i don't like celebrities that much i don't think but, but the oscars they weren't that cringe this year that was probably the biggest cringe moment well right? what but y- yes yeah. certainly but that 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 metric is a little you know you, you you know you gotta they're cringe on a level us regular people can never hope to attain mm-hmm. but but we will get to the oscars yes, of yes. course yeah a um, week or two late but a week, week we or two late yeah. um but we got a lot of news yeah. we got a lot to talk about yep um, and we got a lot of content because today is finally the day of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Dan's unloading. I am so excited to so do this. He's got so much baggage, pent-up aggression. We're getting uh, stands, we're getting hats. No, it's it's just, uh, <laughs> like, so much to, to kind of get into. Um, I was able to do some baseline research, you know, stuff on, like, wikis and such, uh, but there is a lot more. We're not going to be able to talk about everything today, but... It, we got a lot of juicy content yeah. here. Um, but I think you have the most real-world news. I do, yeah. So do you want to lead with that or I, the Oscars? I think we could lead... I have two minor things, like video game-adjacent things, that I just want to say. On, so I on. think it would be good to start with them before we get into the meat and potatoes of uh, what we're talking about. So I finished Xenoblade Chronicles 3, and where's my award? <laughs> <laughs> Where's my trophy? Where's you're my in the, plaque? The in memoriam yeah. section, or <laughs> Jonathan's will to live, <laughs> just dead. But I finished it. What a great game! And it ties in very nicely to the previous two games in the franchise that I haven't played, but I know what happens in mm-hmm. them because I've watched playthroughs because they're such big games. As we discussed at length on this podcast, it, it was a huge time sink that I was like, I'm going to take a chance on this one, and I'm glad I did. Mm-hmm. Um, I can see how some people are like, the ending, especially the final boss, didn't live up to the hype as the other game's final boss. Mm-hmm. But the, like, chapter 5 and chapter 6 segments, like, that was enough of a game for me. Like, yes. that was such a twist, it was a wonderful experience, that 14-hour cutscene that I sat through changed my life, made me question my morals, my ethics, how I treat people. Mm-hmm. Um was just good, and I just didn't think I would love this game as much as I did, but I, I think I did my duty and mentioned it every time I played it. Of course. Yeah, so um, I highly recommend it. The DLC is coming out soon-ish, and it's going to be another full-fledged 
game. Mm-hmm. It, it's going to be a, a huge DLC endeavor. Not as big as Xenoblade Chronicles 2, but Xenoblade Chronicles 2 had a, like, it was literally like a separate game. Yes. Um, in addition to that, uh, I also saw that next week we're getting Resident Evil Remake, and I didn't even know that was coming out this soon. Yeah, it, it really snuck up oh. on, on me. Yeah. Um, other people were aware of it. Mm-hmm. But and it's it, happening. Yeah, the yeah. praise has been flowing. Through the roof. Yeah. People are loving it. People are saying it's not only a faithful mm-hmm. remake, but it, you know, builds on stuff even. Mm-hmm. Nothing seems to be cut. Ex- yeah. I think I think oh, one I yeah. Yeah. thing got cut mm-hmm. in terms of like... A boss, I think, got cut. Because they're moving that plot yeah. to something else, and then it's like... Yeah. Uh, you know, so it's interesting, but... Then, according to Susie the Spear Hunter on YouTube, who you should follow because her reviews are excellent, mm-hmm. um, she says that, I mean, my fan favorite, Ada Wong, she, she's much better in the original, but apparently she will be a lead part of the DLC, yeah. kind of like Ada Wong's side story in the original um, Resident Evil, but I'm, I'm just upset that, like, you know, it's, just, it's a nitpick. I haven't seen anything yet, but she said, I wish they did more with Ava. Oh, okay. Ada, Ada. okay. Yeah. yeah. So you're, you're disappointed in, in being yeah. an Ava, Ada fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. But uh, I'm excited. Nonetheless, it's going to be scary. <laughs> Even though I know what's going to come. I, I'm going to have to play it in the daytime. But another game to tack on to the list. Um, I'm glad what they did with Ashley. They seem to have given her more of a personality, mm-hmm. uh, which is awesome. The villains seem more fleshed out. We get more Leon backstory, too. They haven't given up on his little side quips and jokes. Yes, yeah. it, which is because people are always worried that in the, for the sake of greediness, mm-hmm. they'll delete that stuff. But they know he's, he, he's, he's making he's making his stupid comments mm-hmm. still. So. so I'm excited to play that at some point. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And those are my two video game things. Um... I, my, literally, the the only thing that I did, because I was working on art stuff this week, um, tirelessly, mm-hmm. uh, but I did, because it was, because I, I don't like su- supporting Blizzard otherwise, mm-hmm. but, um, because it was on Super Sale, I picked up Diablo 3, like, six years I after I saw on your Snapchat. Um. You're making a, but Diablo's fine, I know a lot yeah. of people that play that. I'm loving it. So is that far. the new one? No, Diablo 4 oh, okay. is coming out right. very soon. I think that's in, like, the beta, but yeah, I... I know there's, like, a Mind Flayer plot or something. Like, you have a, a Mind Flayer worm in your head and you have to get it out, and that's the premise of the game. I, I believe so. Yeah. I, I'm not up to date with everything because I'm, I'm very behind on these, but um, mm-hmm. I've been using that to kill time in the background. Mm. And uh, I, I know Diablo 3 was controversial when it came out. I, I'm I'm enjoying it so far. It's, it's very different from Diablo 2. Um, in, in terms of how everything is, like, Diablo 3 feels a lot easier so far, but I don't know. I'm, I'm enjoying that. I'm it's glad. a good little goober side game. Um, yeah. but other than that, still too many games, but mm-hmm. I keep adding more games. To the so. pile. Yeah. Octopath Traveler 2, untouched. Yes. <laughs> still in its wrapping, but looking at me every day. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, like the picture of Dorian Gray. <laughs> Just staring <sighs> at me, aging me. I also had a portrait of Dorian Gray joke for later in this oh, segment. Look at us. Great minds. <sighs> it's, it's like, I, I I don't know, it's like the universe. It's like yesterday well, when well, you texted me yeah. and that Jessica Chastain video yeah. came right up and I'm mm-hmm. like, mm, mm-hmm. the universe knows. Our podcast definitely puts, we're living in the in the, the matrix, I assume. We have yeah. to. In the 
in the alphabet soup that we're lingering in somewhere. It's all connecting. Yeah, we don't want to have main character syndrome, but yeah. sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. Some could say that everything everywhere is happening all at once. Do you want to segue into the Oscars? <laughs> I tried my darndest, didn't I? Yeah. Um, so the Oscars happened. I don't remember which number they're at. Like 55. No, it's 45, I think. 40, 49. It's, clo- it's close to it's close to 50 because i remember the number they said i was like "Ooh, we might be alive for the 50th one. <laughs> like it was closer than what i thought it was gonna be just something I, special happened I, at the 50th i don't know if we're gonna get a quarter quell where dame judy dench has to like arm wrestle the ghost of angela like lansbury or yeah. i don't know uh but yeah so i mean again we will be like a week behind with that yeah. but i mean we were hyping those up last yeah. week last week and when I we stayed recorded. up till midnight and I felt it the next day so much so that I took the day off. Mm-hmm. was not feeling well the next day. We're just getting old. But it was a fine Oscars. It did feel a little long, but a lot of things that I thought should have won did so. Yes. And I was happy for that, even though it was a clean sweep for a certain film that I've been championing since it came out. Yeah, of course. All that, almost an entire year ago, that movie's been out. That's just how quick time has gone. And I will say, despite my comment about the the cringe cocaine bear thing, yeah. it was very stream. I th- I felt it was streamlined. Mm. Like I I think that the best thing you can do is to just get a comedian to provide the opening, and then come back and quip every once in a while, yeah. and then not, and then just make sure you keep all the categories in. And uh, I know that a lot of like TikTok film buffs are trying to uh, arc like engineer a way that they could do all of that and then still come in under schedule mm-hmm. and people are like oh just started at like 6 30 yeah you know but then there might be an issue with like evening news in some places mm-hmm. but it's like you know uh, but but i don't know it seems like a lot of people engaged with it at least and it was yeah um people were invested in it mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. so we had a lot of big winners i'm gonna start with the one i didn't fully agree with and that's jamie lee Yes. For winning, supporting. Sugoi, yeah. yeah. No, I, I'm happy she won. It was a good character arc for her. Um, I really thought it should have gone to Stephanie Su, Shu, who was in the same movie, who I think was my favorite part of everything, everywhere, all at once. But she does have a nomination very early in her career, yes. so she will be fine. And then, of course, Angela Bassett. I thought that they kind of had a similar resume, um, her and Jamie Lee, um, but the Academy and the SAG Awards apparently went with Jamie Lee, which was great. I'm I, like, I'm not going to be upset or angry about that. I just thought that, oh, maybe to make this perfect, it would have been Angela Bassett for like a Marvel movie. And I would not have expected that. But then I realized that the Academy voters probably don't know what a Marvel is. Well, unironically, I was rooting for Angela Bassett. Like, yeah. I, I didn't have as much of a, of a, I mean, obviously, a horse in that race, yeah. everything everywhere for you was yeah. like the definitive movie of, of yeah. recent memory. But mm-hmm. I, I was like... All right, I'm I'm going by who I like, um, and and Angela Bassett kind of carried Wakanda forever. Mm-hmm. Not not that the rest of the cast wasn't great in their own way, but I think like being on the you know obviously uh, dealing with with Chadwick Boseman's passing and it being like on the edge of a, like a COVID movie, like yeah. things were chaotic. I yeah. think when and that they movie did was the same made. thing to Chadwick, where they thought they were going to give him yeah. the award, but they didn't. <laughs> Yeah, so it's it's kind of like, even so, Angela Bassett really, really stood out in yeah. that, because I, I, people, you know, don't seem to bring it to those Marvel movies yeah. as often, and yeah. she really did. Yeah, and um, to believe that she doesn't have an Oscar yet. Yeah. Especially with a lot of the diversity 
that, you know, Michelle Yeoh, first Asian woman ever. Yeah. And the only, Halle Berry being the only other non-white person to win. Yes. In that, in that category of best actress, like crazy to me. It really is. Yeah. It it really, it really (laughs) is. And even this has been kind of a, of a fight because people are still pissed mm-hmm. about everything people were yeah. pissed about the song from rrr oh not was to, a not banger to. yeah it is a banger love that song Best absolute song. banger yeah. probably the most memorable and, and of people course like, that movie's great that movie's fun and not the, not the, not the. so yeah. i i don't i don't we're not we can't go in we're not going in reverse but people are going to kind of have to like adjust <laughs> to the fact that times mm. they are a changing i yeah. guess yeah yeah they should know by now though Get on that bus, you know, and that and that's I I understand that like, you, you know, as someone who is, I, I mean, you're probably more of a cinema snob than I am. Probably, I, like I will, <laughs> being a a casual, the Oscar like the things that have gotten Best Picture in the past have, in my opinion, been things that like yeah, this is clearly engineered to be. Mm-hmm. Best Picture yes. win. Yes. I honestly thought that there was a risk that um, Elvis. No, not no, <laughs> no. Well, usually, I, I didn't. Usually, it's a dead celebrity. It's like, oh, you know, it's a dead celebrity biopic. But the Academy eats that up. That's true. Mm-hmm. But the Fablemans oh, yeah. was a yep. schmaltzy love letter mm-hmm. to Hollywood and cinema and directors and what it takes to be an artist mm-hmm. and how the the family of an artist brings them to who they are as as an artist who yeah. makes art yeah. in the high art world and I'm like mm-hmm. I'm I'm feeling a risk here I'm yeah. feeling that that's going to get the yeah. cuz Hollywood likes to be reminded of how great they are mm-hmm. but we thought it was going to happen with La La Land all those years ago Yeah <sighs> but but yeah but no everywhere like it was it's you know Probably, probably one of the most enjoyable recent picks. Lovely speech from Kihi Kwan. Mm-hmm. Uh, reuni- reunited with uh, Harrison Ford. Very happy about yeah, that. Yep, yeah, fun little connection there. Glad to see that, and just him and his unbridled joy. Yes, like none of this humbleness. I want to see that. Like someone who's so overjoyed winning, but being respectful at the same time. Of course, like you feel happy to just see that he's won. Um, then a lot of love for All Quiet on the Western Front, which yes. I did not see yet. It's not my cup of tea, but... No, I, yeah. I understand. I, I did see it. Um, it, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, it was my brother's favorite film of the past year, mm. and he was very pleased to hear that it got all those technical awards. Yeah. Because I think it deserved them. It did, it yeah. did a lot, you know, in terms of not only its score, people have been making fun of that on TikTok a lot, because it's mm. like the, you know, the the heavy like duh, duh yeah. like that kind of noise uh-huh. but i don't know it did a lot of cool stuff technically it it was su- it was a surprisingly great adaptation hmm. it had a lot to live up to because the i mean not only is that a famous book but that's gotten like famous adaptations before hmm. um so i was i was happy to see it get the technical stuff mm-hmm. we had a uh, brenda fraser brendan fraser winning for the whale uh, also overjoyed with that. Yeah, A24 really swept. Yeah. Which I like to see in going forward. I think this could happen more and get a lot of niche actors in those A24, maybe some horror movies. That'd be the next thing I want to change. I want horror to be prestigious again. I'm thinking it's possible. Yeah. Because lately, a lot of the huge budget superhero movies have been losing money mm-hmm. and getting panned. And a lot of the, the the poor horror movies are doing well. 
Yes, Mm -hmm. and it's like, we might be entering into another phase where these smaller, at first, small at first studios invest in, like, mid-budget movies, Mm -hmm. and, you know, we kind of get the same kind of boom that we got after, what was it, like, New Hollywood that era ended? Mm Mm-hmm. Um, because they couldn't, because in those days it was because they were like, if you were a, a Jonathan director who had a, an artistic vision, they would throw like, you know, millions upon millions of dollars at you and just like, you know, and this is, this is Jonathan eating a pear and then it would be, but then that started bankrupting studios. Mm -hmm. So then they, we got like, we moved into the blockbuster, you know, we're going to put these out to get money, but in doing so, it kind of created, like, a new generation of filmmakers and, mm-hmm. and everything. And I think that that, maybe we could open the door to that now. Yep. Because people, in order to get people to go to the movies these days, you have to really entice them. Yep. It, it can't just be the same old, same old as mm-hmm. much anymore. So, yeah, I'm curious to see what happens. But um, Best animated went to Pinocchio, Little Boy of Pine. Very happy about uh, that. Grant wasn't happy. Oh. Grant didn't enjoy that movie. <laughs> um, I I think it could have been Marcel, myself, or Turning Red. I liked them both too, but I, I'm always happy when Disney or Pixar doesn't immediately win. Yeah. So I thought this was fun. And of course, stop motion. It's Guillermo who has a passion for this yeah. and wants to be considered like an actual category. And I think he's continuing holding that banner well, very you, well. No, and if you looked into the like the production of that mm-hmm. Pinocchio movie, like again, the artistry of stop motion is very much yeah. alive. Still, I thought Grant would appreciate that, but mm-hmm. apparently he didn't like it. That no, little wooden no, boy he, couldn't suffice. That boy him. singing Papa really got on his nerves. But also, even uh, Puss in Boots. Yes, Puss in Boots as well too. Never would have expected that to, to mm-hmm. get the. But people are saying that's phenomenal. Yeah, um, now on streaming. So, mm-hmm. it, it, yeah, it was uh, an interesting year. And then Michelle Yeoh, mm-hmm. she took it home. Oh, also script writing. Um, I don't know if it's adapted. It's one of them, I forget. It, it was either original or adapted went to uh, Woman Talking, which I thought was another important thing. Mm-hmm. That kind of continues the tradition of last year, I think. Um, uh, Power of the Dog won last year. Yes. Which was very, you know, in the same vein as that. I said, oh, that that's cool. I like I like these script writing categories as well. Mm-hmm. That I, I didn't really expect that. Yeah. yeah. There, there were a lot of good scripts in there. This year. Um, and Michelle Yeoh. Yeah. 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 I'm so happy. She's like, my mom's watching. And then we got the reaction of her mom reacting to it. Yeah. And it was very, oh, look at all these people just showing up for you. And I, the way I would be like, oh, I, I think about if I ever won an Oscar, Dan, in some timeline, I'm sure I did. <laughs> and I'd be like, wow, it's you. It's really you. Fuck you, Dan Ryan. <laughs> just want, I'd leave the mystery. <laughs> like, I wouldn't even explain. I'd be like, fuck you, Dan Ryan. <laughs> and then uh, the, the, the I, door would yeah. be knocked on the next day. <laughs> uh, oh, well, yeah. Or, yeah. or I'm old and decrepit yeah. in, like, the balcony. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. mm, And like, I do, like, the Citizen Kane shot. And I just get up and leave. <laughs> I'd be like, if Dan Ryan's here, get him! <laughs> so, it... it, it uh, but, yeah. yeah. I think it was a, a, a pleasing night, after all. We got the new Little Mermaid trailer, too. Yeah, which looked good. Ursula's got some bioluminescence. Yeah. Yep, I uh, wish it was a little bit brighter so I could see. Yeah, <laughs> but that's, I'm still worried about that. Yeah, it's very, very gray, yeah. very dark. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. Again, and maybe... I think Flounder looks horrific. But... He does. They look scary because <laughs> yeah. they're real animals. I don't know why. 
They do that. They're weird. They're real animals, but they have the slightest tint of like the cartoon coloring. Yes, and that makes it far more upsetting to me. Um, yes, I hope that well, it looks very similar to the Lion King remake, which I did not enjoy. I I didn't even see that, no. and I didn't like Aladdin too. But it's gonna sell Buku bucks, and Little Mermaid is definitely my favorite of these that's done so far mm-hmm. in like the Disney Renaissance era. So I think it's gonna be a high selling. Marvel better watch out when that comes out. I I. Uh, again, I think that that live-action Jungle Book was harmless. Mm-hmm. I I remember I've debated this with you and probably Grant. Yeah, before I thought it, I no, it was harmless, it, and I think we had a we had a rewatch in the girls' chat. We watch a movie like every Sunday night after you leave, uh, before I yeah. go to bed, and we did like a Disney live-action rewatch, and Jungle Book has aged the best, even though they all agreed that Christopher Walken orthopithecus or whatever is the scariest gigantopithecus yeah i i warned them going in i said it is the scariest thing no it's not it is is. that (laughs) completely the opposite that makes the movie for me is that it's a big gigantopithecus and that's why we're so different dan because i would see that and i would be horrified and you would see that and run to it voiced by christopher walken i Mm. no, that would be what's he doing there is he the last surviving gigantopithecus just in the jungle there so yeah just eating bananas um but yeah, because, because what did they say? Because an orangutan would have been... I don't know what e- they said, It would have been, man. like, ecologically inaccurate. Oh, oh, yeah. So then they put, like, a gigantopithecus. Yeah, and that's <laughs> totally fine. Dan said, oh, check that off the list. But I'm fine with yeah, that. Yeah. I'm willing to, yeah. yeah, give them some room there. Yeah, they're living in Dan's uh, world over there. Uh, it's a big monkey in a castle, oh, so who cares? Um, but yeah, and then I, I think Aladdin was also... That's probably Ooh, the one I that I've enjoyed the most. I didn't like Aladdin most. at all. But I think mm-hmm. that, like, the setting kind of lends it, like, it, it couldn't, like, you couldn't do Agrabah and then have it be bleak and mm-hmm. earth tony. Yeah. Like, you needed the, the color and the pop and everything, mm-hmm. and I think that that, like, Aladdin lent itself well to that, but mm-hmm. the other ones, they gotta try a little <laughs> harder to yeah. do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, is it my time to confess my sin? Yeah, you, you have a big, uh... <laughs> a big reveal. Uh, big two reveals. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, in coherence of uh, tying along with the podcast as we often do you know when the god of theater gives they provide mm-hmm. <laughs> and they provide a bounty dan uh, i made this decision off mic to go see a certain show because uh, i had to kill time for an eight o'clock show i'll begin with that one we saw dear world which is a little um little known jerry herman musical who brought us hello dolly mame and the like mm-hmm. uh, he had them all three running simultaneously on broadway at one point but dear world was considered the flop um if I had to describe it, even though it hasn't been performed, it's, like, very amelie, it's very anti-capitalist, it's about, like, a mad woman in France and her friends who get together to uh, bring down big business, mm-hmm. and it's just, like, I, I know it's a huge inspiration for Pushing Daisies, so if you've seen that show, that's kind of what to expect from that. Like, a feel-good, quirky, colorful romp through the Paris streets and sewer system. Right. Um, it was a good time. Donna Murphy shined. I love the City Center season. I'm glad that they continue to bring these and then eventually port them to Broadway with these stellar casts and the audience are eating them up. Theater has been strong, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. The audiences have been selling out when I've been going as well. Uh, and then, you know, we watched Phantom of the Opera last week. Dan did not enjoy. But there was a bigger beast on Broadway. A badder beast on Broadway. All right. Yeah. For the record, yeah. before you get into your big reveal, oh, you, you, yeah. I did not... 
not like yeah, Phantom but, of the Opera. Yeah, but it wasn't the I best. I would watch yeah. Phantom of the Opera ten times over before Popeye ever again. Oh, okay. So all I, right. yeah, well, even right. before Australia, Oof. I would happily... We have to rank them one day, don't we? Well, we do. Yeah. Maybe maybe we'll do that in the next quarter quell. Yeah. But the, the, the uh, Phantom, I give it I give it a, a C plus. Okay. Yeah, but that yeah. that's not the highest. You wouldn't say, like... You would go back and watch Phantom out of your own enjoyment. If I did, would it bother you? <laughs> yes. Then yes, I would go back and rewatch oh. it. Yeah. Oh, you. Well, anyways, there's but a ba- there, the- there, there's a badder beast on Broadway, and that's Bad Cinderella. That's right. I bought a ticket, and the story doesn't stop there because when I bought that ticket, being that I'm so pretentious, I didn't even know where I was sitting. I, I was mm-hmm. like, I was like, oh, it could be any price at any location. I don't <laughs> care. The first time in my life, where did they put me but the first row? I'd sent Dan a pic. I could literally tap the shoulder of the conductor and go, what are you doing? <laughs> with yeah, this. Yeah. But I did not. And I was like, my God, it would be this show. I was worried there was going to be audience participation. But there was not. And Bad Cinderella? I mean, it's not a good musical. Mm. There are many problems here. But it's not the worst musical that okay. I've seen or heard. Okay. So I will take that back in a history of backpedaling on this show. Bad Cinderella is not as bad as I hyped it up to be. Mm-hmm. But this will be spoilers because Dan has waited patiently. He must know the plot yes. of Bad Cinderella in order to analyze it. So I'm going to pull off this little thing that I wrote um, in order to better explain to you the plot of said musical. So we open it. We are in the town of Belleville... New Not Jersey. New Jersey. Okay. No. Somewhere in like the 1800s, everyone's dressed in period ishware, but they're like bubblegum pastels. Yes. And the people of Belleville are all extremely beautiful. Every last one of them is more beautiful than the next. Okay. And they love this about themselves. They prize themselves on their beauty. They all can dress well, they all can dance well, and they all describe each other as hot. Okay. So there's not an uggo in the mix. Except for one... One that dares to stand against the community. May you guess who that might be? Oh, I'm gonna assume it's 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 not it's it's Cinderella. It's bad ba- Cinderella. But yeah. She's not Cinderella. They just call her bad Cinderella. Okay, so which it's is already like they call her Cinderella, but more times than not, it's like you're bad Cinderella. Well, as so fate who's would have good? It, who's good Cinderella? That ties into our uh, <laughs> that ties into something later on, uh. but we'll. We'll get there, but okay, okay, but, bad but Cinderella. Cinderella is dubbed bad because she doesn't adhere to fashion norms, despite wearing mostly the same things, except their leather, in her town of beautiful people. And she is described as not beautiful, but she looks just as hot as everyone else. So, like, not another teen movie? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. she's hideous, because she's got pigtails. But she's, no, they don't even say she's hideous, she, they just say, you're not hot. Okay. All right. So in this town of Belleville, it's ruled by a queen, a reigning queen, the great Grace McLean, who mm-hmm. is the saving grace of this film, I, this film, this production. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved her other work. I love her her band with the Grace and the Bad Apples. And I saw her in Comet. Best part in Comet. And best part in this as well, as the queen. She's just playing a grand dame. She's like a cartoon character on stage. And mm-hmm. it's very, very good. I ate her up. But the queen says, it's time that uh, one of my sons... She has two sons, Prince Charming, who is missing. Okay. He has not been seen. All they know is that he's a manly's man, and everyone loved him because he's a manly man. Prince Charming. Okay. Not there. Okay. He would be the next successor to the throne, but he isn't there. So we have Prince... Oh my god, what's his name? Uh, Prince Sebastian, who is like, fine, 
But people consider him boring, even though he's just an average guy. Mm-hmm. And he's best friends with bad Cinderella. Okay. Yep. He's best friends. But, no one questions but, that. They all just hang out together. Even though the townsfolk are like, we're going to kill Cinderella. He doesn't really do anything to stop that. He's just like, all right, yeah, whatever. And then he shows up and is like, I'll save you, I guess, because we're friends. New take on a classic tale. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And then... These two are, like, in the woods, and you can clearly tell there's some sexual tension between them. Like, they're friends, they go in for, like, face-to-face, and then they turn away awkwardly, like, cute little little teens. Mm-hmm. Going, like, ooh, I, we can't love each other. Like, yeah. we're just teens. We don't have those emotions yet. Um, so, there's that relationship. The queen decides to throw a ball that Saturday and says, You have to pick one. The time's up. By midnight, you have to pick someone. Alright? Mm-hmm. Bad Cinderella's stepmother is spying on bad Cinderella and Sebastian speaking. And she goes, oh, I have a plan here. She goes to the queen who she apparently knows because they both were like exotic dancers in their youth. It's something like that. They both had like many liaisons and they know each other from like the seedy underbelly Mm -hmm. of that past lives. So that's how she gets an audience with the queen. She goes, I know you. And she's like, oh, I know you as well. She goes, I'll make you a deal. You can marry one of my, my daughters, but that's the deal. She just goes, you can marry one of my daughters, and then I won't reveal your secret. That you had, like, a rough upbringing. All right, I'm it, starting to disassociate a little bit, yeah, but, but yeah. go on, go it's on. It's not a good plot, Dan. Go on. It's not a good plot. So she's like, "You're gonna, your son's gonna kiss one of my daughters at the ball, and then that will make her next in line for queen. I guess. As that's, is law. That's yeah. what they agree on. Okay. So they're planning that. The stepmother's like, fine, we're gonna go to the ball, we're gonna get this. And Cinderella goes, like... I want to go to the ball, but this time my stepmother told me that I was ugly. I really felt it. And I don't think Sebastian's going to like that about me. So without any explanation, she goes to this character known as the Godmother, who has this weird, like, David Lynchian uh, Blade Runner set with, like, bisected people in crystal chunks. Because she makes she, them beautiful? Well, she sells or? beauty. But okay. beauty's described as, like, surgery in this universe. Okay. So she has, like, a doctor motif, and then she's like, oh, give me that necklace that... Oh my god, this necklace, Dan. This fucking I, MacGuffin necklace. That commentary Cinder- on society. That Cinderella I... wears around her neck. It's the one thing that her dead parents gave her, but it's, mm-hmm. like, her one thing. It's like, oh, give that to me. And she does so. She's like, fine, make me hot. That's literally the song. I want to be hot. Um, then- <laughs> so she's, like, Ursula? Yeah. Yeah. This is but all very... we only just met her in the last moment of Act 1, and we don't really see her Really again. is a new twist yeah. on, the, yeah. on the tale that it's, our grandma's It's essentially Ursula, new. but she yeah. goes, you know, you have to be back by midnight. There's no, there's no re- repercussions that okay. she's not back by midnight. Nothing happens, Dan. But you have to be back by midnight and laughs maniacally as the curtain closes on Act 1. Okay. And Cinderella's hot. She's hot now because she has a platinum white wig and a white dress. So she's hot. Mm-hmm. And unrecognizable to any. So we show up to the ball in Act 2. Everyone's dancing. Everyone's having a fun time. To be honest, I felt like the citizens of Belleville were in the right. They're just enjoying their lives, being beautiful, trying to climb the social ladder, going about their businesses, just as beautiful people. Yeah, like people on an MTV yeah. show yeah. Back from back so in the day. I was, yeah. like, I was fine all. with them. So midnight comes. Cinderella arrives late. She's dancing with Prince Sebastian. But Prince Sebastian goes, I don't, he doesn't recognize her. He goes, you girls are all the same. All you care about are your looks. And there's nothing in your minds. <sighs> and bad Cinderella's like, but it's me, Sebastian. But he's still like, I don't know you. Doesn't recognize her. 
See, her not being like the other girls yep. was a good thing. Yep. See? The the stepmother succeeds in getting one of her daughters to kiss Sebastian, so now they're engaged for that Saturday, I suppose. So she she does that, and she's like, haha, I did this at last. And Cinder- bad Cinderella leaves in a huff, takes off her platinum wig, which she could have done at any time, mm-hmm. and says like, oh, you know, I'm done with people treating me like this. I'm going to get out of here and go. Okay. Into the great beyond wherever. I'm going to start a new life. But I'm not going to do it immediately. I guess I'm going to hang around town a bit more and, I don't know, be pissed at people. <laughs> she doesn't immediately go. All right. Yeah, yeah. petty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she's back. And then the stepmother's gloating. She's like, blah, blah, blah. I finally did this bad Cinderella. You can keep your stupid house, but just get out of my life. Even though they really didn't have any interactions before. And I don't know why Cinderella was staying there in the first place. Just because it's her father's home. I, I, I don't understand. There's a lot of problems in Act 2. Act 2 felt like such a non-act. Okay. So we're at the wedding. Very Shrek style, like speak now or forever hold their peace. But who should show up, Dan? Not bad Cinderella, who's running, running to the chapel in order to stop the wedding. She's not there yet. But Prince Charming from before. That prince from long ago that was missing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not Prince Sebastian, the other brother who everyone loves because he's a manly man. Then he comes in. He's like, yes, mother. When I was on my voyage, I fell in love with someone you didn't pick. And that person is another man. I'm gay. And then the and the the, the audience the, the audience gasps. No, they or, stood up, they cheered, and then like in this, like the queen who you think, even though there's no clue that would be like she's homophobic at all, you think she would react in that way, like oh, like you're supposed to marry a girl, but no, she goes, what's better than two hot prince, one hot prince than two hot princes? I love this, it's wonderful, and the whole town welcomes the LGBTQ plus community, and it's a wonderful thing for everyone. Everyone's so happy. Sebastian's saved from a loveless marriage, and bad Cinderella gets to the chapel when everyone has left. It's like, oh, Sebastian got married anyway because I heard the wedding bells chime. It's really dumb. So then, (laughs) the act just ends with this massive party being thrown for these two gay princes. Uh, The stepmother is excommunicated from the community and just walks off stage, never to be seen again. Why? No, No reason why. All right. The queen's just like, you did me, you did me dirty, everyone, let's, let's shun her. And she just walks off. Then Sebastian shows up to Cinderella's house, finds the shoe that was left there, and Cinderella's like, I was thinking of selling that. I'm sorry for the way I treated you, and Sebastian's like, yeah, me too. I went to the godmother in a scene before this and got your necklace back. And then they're like, oh, want to travel the world together? Fine. And then the show ends, Dan. (laughs) That's it. So, uh, d- does Cinderella do anything in the act two? Or no? Yeah, no. Now that you say she tries to stop the wedding, but she gets but there doesn't. after it's over. Well, I saw the song said "Far Too Late." That she was. So I'm yeah. assuming she was too late. Yeah. But- <laughs> so it was not good. The audience seemed to love it though. Like they had a fun time. It was better than what I expected. Just act two was a clunker. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. 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 What else can I say? I, I did my I did my punishment, right. my penance. Well, now that you've 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 uh, introduced me to it, I'm gonna look further into it. I can finally explore the songs and such to yeah. see what. And this can't be workshopped anymore. Well, can it's, it? it's in previews for another week. Okay. but I don't think much is gonna change. No, that's what I mean. I'm assuming from the play, but like it can't be. So yeah. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> so yeah, it's very odd. Hmm? Like I could see. Like, if they turn the fairy godmother into... 
Well, he, she, and then I didn't say this, but like when Sebastian goes to get the ring back from their fairy godmother to present to Cinderella, mm-hmm. she turns into like a benevolent character. Like she did it all like to make this happen. Yeah. She goes like, oh, I knew you'd be needing this to find your love. Then I was like, then why were you so fucking creepy before with all the surgery well, and shit? Here's the thing. This is a, this is a Dan Ryan script doctor, yeah. if I may. Yeah, sure, why not? If you're going to do like a Shrek pastiche of fairy tales, mm-hmm. then why not just get crazy with it in act two? Like mm-hmm. at the end of act one, she goes to her quote unquote fairy godmother and makes this trade, which seems oddly, you know, malevolent mm-hmm. considering uh, how the, the godmother usually is. And then when the before the curtain falls, we get the sense that it's like copyright safe Ursula. It's yeah. like she had taken the real fairy godmother hostage, oh, okay. yeah. and they're here to to fuck things yeah. up. And then throughout Act and Two, and then it would be bad Cinderella. Yeah. yeah. And then throughout Act Two, there's other like you know other things are falling apart. Copyright scenes, friendly yeah. villains yeah. show up to yeah. like start dicking stuff around uh-huh. and causing trouble. And maybe even Prince Charming had been you know, kidnapped by one of them and just like maybe, and then something like that. Just as as 30 year old men talking about this on a podcast, (laughs) truly on an anime podcast, no less. It baffles me, but yes, that's the point we arrived at. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Just, I don't think we need to see it. If there's a slime tutorial online, I might send it your way one day just so you can see what I saw with my eyes. I mean, the cast was given it like, like, they were, they seemed really pumped to be in it, despite what I've heard in online rumblings. Like, they seemed to be having a great time. And the audience responded, even though Act 1, there was very little applause. Mm-hmm. And that, I was like, oh no, this worm could turn dangerously. Mm-hmm. Um, the audience could get upset. But they, they, they turned the beat around after that Grace McLean number. Because she stopped the show. It was like, oh, this is great. Wonderful. About her singing about her manly man of a son who maybe she wanted to fuck at a point. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's like veiled like that, but she's such a great comedic actress that she pulled it off really well. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what to say. I don't know either. What else is there to say? But... I mean, I'm assuming that if the audience was, was happy by the end, mm-hmm. and it's an Andrew Lloyd Webber joint, then it'll have a lifespan. Yeah. It'll... it'll... Yeah. It'll There's budget go. in the costuming. Yeah. I'm not going to mention the scents. <laughs> They're the, pretty. The Dr. Seuss swirl yeah, thing you showed me. I like that. The show curtain is expensive, but they could have done something a little bit different with that proscenium arch. And... I don't know. Well, quick question. Mm-hmm. Um, Friday evening, you texted me and said that <laughs> you were going to bring something that would be a schism to the yeah. podcast. Yeah. Is, is it bad Cinderella? Yeah, I thought it was going to just be a slight that I saw it without you. Oh, well, I, I, yeah. I, if I don't have to do things, I'm happy. Yeah. So, it, it, so all that anxiety for nothing, Dan. <laughs> yeah, I, I was worried that you were going to, like, yeah. <laughs> I spent the whole weekend agonizing. Like, is Jonathan moving to, to like, Tallahassee yeah. to, to, you know, because he got offered yeah. a, a dean of kazoo factory theater or school? Yeah. Or, yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. So I, I was I was worried, but all right. Yeah, yeah. that's it. It's just bad Cinderella. No, that was It was bad Cinderella the whole time, Dan. Yeah, I was going to say... All right, I, that's not a schism. And that's then that's I a, kind of liked this better than Hercules at the paper mill. <laughs> okay, <laughs> and I know that sounds sacrilegious to say, but yeah, because of I just thought just it was... overall presentation or <sighs> not presentation. I think it was a more enjoyable watch, even though Act Two is like the worst Act Two I've ever seen. Okay, yeah, okay, yeah. Hmm. I had more fun. <laughs> that is surprising. I would not have fun. expected that. Yeah, I would think Hercules it's not a, would it's lend not itself. a lot more fun. 
but I had more fun. Was there, um, <laughs> did, did Disney ever do, like, a straight Cinderella musical at any point? Like a stage there's like show? Eight, or... There's, like, eight different versions. I don't think Disney did. Because I, yeah. I, I know that the, so it is, it is possible yeah. that it's well, been. Well, you could tell that Andrew Lloyd Webber was referencing Rodgers and Hammerstein's Cinderella, which is the superior Broadway adaptation. Love them. We should watch that on the <laughs> podcast eventually. <laughs> yes. but... I know you love it. Yeah. But he had a song that was vaguely like In My Own Little Corner. <laughs> yeah. And I said, hmm, this sounds kind of similar. Okay. Mm-hmm. Again, odd, odd choices. Yeah. Odd, odd choices for what. And I'm Everyone's sorry taste. I had to go on that tirade. I just needed to let it out. I needed to get that plot off my chest. No, of course, I no. to voice it to the universe. I requested that you do it. Yeah, yeah. We got I apologize for the audience more than you. We got... Pl- we got yeah. uh, it's always the weirdest episodes that end up being the longest. The longest episodes. <laughs> Citizen Kane was like... Butter. Clear and concise. Yeah. Yeah. And then everything else just ends up getting uh, a little crazy. Mm. I, I think even... Uh, what was it? Not Melting Man. But oh. what was the last... What was the last movie that I brought to this podcast? Oof, I Literally know. two weeks ago. Oh, uh, Gotti. Okay. <laughs> Jesus. I thought you meant the one before Melting Man. Oof, that was okay. a trick question. Okay, yeah. Uh, so, I don't know. But it doesn't matter. As long as the listeners are happy, everything is fine. I'm done. <laughs> okay. Um, tangent time. Oh, boy. I have been um, deeply immersed in creating this, our, our little Pokemon Topaz and Lapis art project for the podcast. Uh, even though I have not been posting frequently, I do have a lot done, mm. and, and more will be, uh, you know, posted soon. My main focus, uh, that being said, has been kind of finalizing our map, and just so that we have access to, like, okay, these are all the spaces that we're going to fill with, with mons mm. and such as we keep going. Um, and that has been quite a task, because I was much worse at, uh, geography than I had realized previously. I had things in completely the wrong place, um, and so, as I said last week, I've been going through step-by-step and, like, adding, you know, things just to make the final map presentation, uh, nicer. And this is purely for my own reference when I make the final, uh, you know, map artwork and artwork for other locations and such. Um... But uh, to reiterate, if we haven't in a while, uh, the original idea, the original prompt that you gave me for the entire region was kind of like an hourglass shape Mm -hmm. that is, uh, you know, southwestern United States into South America, Mm -hmm. and it all builds to Rio de Janeiro um, for the champion match. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, obviously, South America is huge. (laughs) Um, yes. It is much bigger scale-wise than uh, southwestern United States, mm-hmm. um, but we've still managed to integrate that because it's just the roots get longer as you keep going, you know, further mm-hmm. down in the region. Uh, that being said, with how the entire thing kind of pans out, uh, you know, because my uh, task for the past couple of days has been figuring out you know, I, I went and I added tons of places to the northern half of the map, the United mm-hmm. States portion, mm-hmm. uh, create a little tournament dome, created a desert, uh, things like that, that we can all fill uh, with more deck centuries as we go. Um, you know, move down into Mexico City, Panama Canal, and then into uh, South America. I added a big lake because there is the largest lake in South America is right in that spot. Mm-hmm. Um 
and been going through. I've added a few random places where the legendary birds are, mm-hmm. and we can stick Lugia. I figured we, since we are this anime podcast, we can reference movie 2000 mm-hmm. at some point. Like, mm-hmm. you'll go to a location like that, yeah. and I'll draw that and up on the map. Like, surrounding it, yeah. Um, but, but even so, the final map is going to be giant which i'm fine with i was i was like wondering about that but then i remembered you playing xenoblade 3 for 300 hours (laughs) and still not unlocking the entire yes world map Mm -hmm. so obviously it is not going to be one-to-one thing obviously it is not going to fit into the pokemon world at large because unova is just new york Mm -hmm. so ours is not the scale is not correct so this is purely for our own uh, interests as an art project so we're free to do whatever we want yeah. um but uh as i've been going through the south american portion i've been trying to add more also uh to kind of like fill it out more obviously i famously added Raquador. yes um, you did it's your chagrin mm-hmm. uh we got the safari zone is there um the main sticking point for me is trying to figure out how the kind of the Cuba, Hispaniola, Puerto Rico, West Indies, Florida area is going to look. Because obviously, I can only rotate it ever so slightly uh-huh. to keep the map symmetrical mm-hmm. in terms of like what each side has. Um, I'm also going to, probably full disclosure, drop the, the DLC termage and mm-hmm. just say like, this is episode yeah. whatever yeah. when I do the art. Because uh-huh. that was... That was purely just an extra art bonus mm-hmm. for some anime goodness, but we'll still mm. incorporate that somehow. Um, but again, I thought of you, I thought of Xenoblade, <laughs> and I'm like, I can just keep making the map a yeah. little bit bigger. Yeah, and, and that's what they do in the game. It's like, oh, you start on the small map, and it gets bigger and bigger as you go. Yeah, so it, it, I, I'm not entirely sure how I'm going to, to work it out just yet, Um it might end up being the case. Like, one thing I considered doing was that for our Mega City portion, mm-hmm. uh, the, you know, where you get Mega Evolution and everything, originally we thought, okay, maybe that'll be Disney World. Um, because there's nothing, aside from, like, maybe where, if you got really farther out, would be Hawaii mm-hmm. after a certain point, mm-hmm. there's nothing really in the the bay of the left side of the map. Mm-hmm. So... I might make a big, stupid, artificial anime island mm-hmm. where that can go. Okay. Just to put something on that part of the map, put something else in Florida, and then that way the map will come to a square. Hmm. Like, it'll come to a perfect square. <laughs> and Dan will be happy. Um, Well, it's not even about me being yeah. <laughs> happy. It's like, it'll, it'll ensure that Everything's we're not even. deleting yeah. entire it, yeah. portions of, mm-hmm. of the... I mean, P- Paldea deleted Portugal, but we're going to try to not <laughs> do that where yeah. we can. For the love of God, I'm not... If you are a listener from South America, I a- anywhere yeah. on the South American continent... Yeah, Dan is trying his darndest. I cannot yeah. fit yeah. everything, yeah. <laughs> uh, because there's just no way. But We'll I, have his head! <laughs> but, um, it, like, it, it does still work out to a kind of, you know, the kind of, like series of loops that most pokemon maps have mm-hmm. um i just might like rearrange where things are and, and put them in different places mm. um different places and another thought that i had was that when it comes to when it comes time to do something like uh 
you know, if we did still term them as DLC or term them as post-game or whatever, uh, you know, Mega City could be Big Stupid Artificial Island, similar to what we're getting in Scarlet and Violet. Mm. And then the second half, where you have given me the prompt for the legendary beasts and mm. the evil mask and such, could just be the the lower half of, of South America. Mm -hmm. It could be the point where it curves down and then there's like Antarctica down there too. Mm -hmm. Um obviously not to scale. But I'm gonna I'm gonna work on that. I'm gonna figure that out. Uh and and then get back to you. Mm. But I'm gonna I'm gonna play around with some things until it's finalized. That being said, mm. Uh, you know, because uh, I just like doing this. Yeah, even even I can tell, then. <laughs> even if this is into the void, I like I like world building yeah. shit, and I like you know designing locations. Dan likes and a little stuff. project to work on. It does. It keeps me. It, it keeps me from, from madness. Idle hands, Dan. Um, but uh, that being said, I did finalize a few little stupid world building things. Uh, more anime references, mm -hmm. for instance. Um, your your not so bad dad in the game is a member of Team Lithium. Um, he his character design will actually be based on Jotaro, mm -hmm. um, and since he's fighting type themed, I added a little town where Little Rock is mm -hmm. called Mienford, mm -hmm. and it is going to have uh, uh, like kind of like an academy that's like a fighting dojo. Okay. And that's your dad's hometown. Okay. So that's that's one, uh, you know, anime-inspired mm -hmm. thing there. Uh, and I also added, as like a Capsule Corp reference, I added the Raz Corporation, hmm. which is in o where Oklahoma City is. Hmm. So uh, Raz Corporation will be like our Silfco, like they'll manufacture all the shit that mm -hmm. the player uses and everything. Mm -hmm. And they'll manufacture the little watch that I'll make the art of, the map and everything else. Um, and then that brings us to today's prompt, um, because uh, currently cooking, we have the four all-terrain snails yep. that are that show up as like bikers use them. Mm -hmm. The player will be using the jaguar to to you know yep. move around the map, and mm -hmm. then it gets the HM moves and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but still, there's still the matter of flying. Um, I really like how they've done the flying taxi thing in mm -hmm. recent games. So, uh, your next prompt that I will request you to focus on is something to, uh, something to serve as the flying taxi carrier. Okay. Something that will carry around the little stupid car with the mm -hmm. player in it, with the cabbie, and I, I will definitely make art of that. Okay. Um, I believe a long time ago, you suggested something like a helicopter bug hmm. but that is yan mega okay yan mega already does that okay. so it, it, it doesn't have to be a bird mm -hmm. it can be a bird or, or a bug or mm -hmm. any flying creature but mm -hmm. uh that is my next order to you okay. is to give me a prompt for that all right i can do that um and then i will keep fiddling around <laughs> with um stuff on the map yeah. again not, nothing is final most of the, you know, the United States portion is final, but then filling out the rest of the map with stuff. Mm -hmm. Mega City is probably going to be moved around. The, uh, you know, uh, the island with the, or places with the evil mask mm -hmm. are going to get moved around. Again, just to to fill out the map completely. Yeah. Just um, hope you don't upset the Bolivians. <laughs> no, Bolivia's there. <laughs> you sure? Bolivian is swine mm -hmm. bluff. All right. <laughs> I got these all, I got these all, yeah. Oh, he's yeah. mad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh, it's fun. I don't know. It, 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 this this stuff comes easy because it's like I already have the context and the 
you know, words to use and the world to build in. Mm -hmm. And that's the stuff that usually stresses me out. So if I, I can go hog wild if I have, oh, like, if, I, if I'm given that. I don't I think the world's just, ready, uh, Dan. But again, it's all to inform these art pieces and such. Mm. Uh, but yeah, so that that is the next prompt I request of okay. you. There will Flying be test. many more because we got a lot of <laughs> lot of gr like ground to fill still. All right. Um, but we're going to again for the sake of the podcast, uh, keep them anime themed okay. as best we can. And with that, mm -hmm. do you think it's about time? I think it's time, Dan. It's about time we hit the road. Yeah. Okay. Where are we going? <laughs> well, we're rolling out the drawing board, <gasps> and it's Evil Spirit Edition. Oh no. So, drawing board, you know, after the the after braving the the vast dead tundra of the Sinister Six, uh, you know, drawing board's looking a little more hard boiled than usual. He's looking he's looking cooler. Oh, he's definitely cooler. He's yeah. dressed in like a like an uneven school uniform, like Bad Cinderella. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly like Bad <laughs> Cinderella. It might have been some souvenirs that you picked up at the yeah. Bad Cinderella gift shop. Just GM stapled them onto him when yeah. you left. Yeah. Um, you know, he he's edgy. He's smoking. Uh, he, you know, his, his demeanor is, is he's putting on a tough guy act. Mm. Um, but there seems to be a lot of dark energy oh. swirling around him. Oh my. Um, Should we open a window or? But we're going to have to, we're going to have to figure that out. Okay. We're going to have to figure that yeah. out. Maybe, maybe we'll get some information as we go further. it was just me. <laughs> so, Stardust Crusaders is the third story arc in the JoJo's Bizarre Adventure manga series written and illustrated by the immortal Hirohiko Araki. Mm. Uh, this ma manga arc originally ran from 1989 to 1992 in Weekly Shonen Jump, and it was originally published under the title JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Part 3, Jotaro Kujo, <laughs> Heritage for the Future. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, but do recall that previous arcs were originally published as Jonathan Joestar, His Youth, and Joseph Joestar, His Proud Lineage. Mm -hmm. um, lineage. So, lineage. Oh. <laughs> um, so, the... We'll get to this in a moment, mm -hmm. but this was originally intended to be the last JoJo story. Mm -hmm. It would have completed the informal trilogy of the... Well, not informal, but it would have com like completed the trilogy of stories making this up. Okay. So then you would have had, uh, you know, this man's youth, um, his direct descendant, and mm -hmm. then his future. legacy yeah. for the future. Mm -hmm. So all, like, covering kind of past, present, and future, mm -hmm. you know, all together. Helped by the fact that, you know... Joseph Joestar is still around. Um, so, in order to avoid certain, uh, you know, spoilers, mm -hmm. I'm going to be saving some of the production information until later on down okay. the road. Because there's more insights to be had into how certain things were designed or decided, but I can't go into those without revealing plot details. Mm. Uh, so, there's more coming. Uh, apparently, Araki's original pitch for Part 3 framed it as a modern retelling of Dracula. Oh. Something we're very familiar with yes. on this podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, one person in the meeting room understood what he was talking about, while the rest were <laughs> utterly confused. <laughs> Another thing that happens frequently on this podcast. Um, we can probably still spot elements of this in how Dio is presented, because his... While he's chilling throughout the series, he's very much like Dracula in his castle, like, waiting Scheming, villainously. Yeah. Um, and obviously Araki, as I stated in a previous JoJo episode, he does love horror films. And this season, like the others, has no shortage of references to horror movies. Good. Uh, both in its characters and its setups and things like that. 
Um, Araki's editor has also encouraged him to include at least one Japanese character <laughs> or story arc in order to appeal to his target audience, which obviously would have been Japanese youths. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what well, kind of... that plays into this next part. So, Araki developed the plot further, originally intending for part three, again, to be the finale of this trilogy. Uh, he considered making Japan the setting for the final battle, probably to fulfill that previous request. Mm-hmm. Um... But he became wary that confining the series to one location or having it lead, like, everything build to just a fight in Japan would make part two, part three too similar to the tournament arcs that were all the rage in other Weekly Shonen Jump mm-hmm. manga. Yeah. We've, we've seen several Many. of them yeah. here. And it's true. Um, you get tired of the same locale. So, uh, in order to keep things interesting, uh, part three would instead be a globetrotting road movie inspired by Around the World in 80 Days. Phineas Fogg. (laughs) So, um, let's see. So, obviously, as promised, this is the portion of the story that introduced Stans. Yay! Um, they've since become a defining characteristic of the series, and they show up in some capacity in every arc from this point on. Story-wise, stands serve as a successor power to Haman without replacing it completely. Uh, Araki originally conceived of stands as something inorganic and yet powered by life energy. When designing stands, Araki tends to combine man-made objects, such as cultural artifacts mm-hmm. or motifs. Um, the main example given was, was you know, uh, the relics of indigenous people and things like that, like cultural icons. Mm. Uh, it was it was very difficult to phrase this, but it's kind of like something obviously man-made, combined with organic and mechanical elements, and all three of these elements combined, uh, you know... To form Captain Planet. Form Captain Planet, uh, and then how they're balanced together leads to very unique visually appealing mm-hmm. and and just bizarre they look cool. stand designs. <laughs> they look like personas. Uh, each stand tends to operate within the limits of its very specific power set or elemental affiliation. Figuring out a stand user's rules is usually the key to defeating them. Uh, as such, experienced stand users will try to obscure their abilities as much as possible before confronting their opponent head-on. Mm. This is something that the heroes kind of have to learn <laughs> But the villains already yeah. practice. Mm-hmm. And it makes every single fight very, very interesting. Because you have to figure... Like, the, the main character or the character that you're rooting for in the fight has to figure out what are the parameters of this stand's abilities. And how how do you win? How do you counteract mm-hmm. them? Even, you know, it, it definitely shows up here. But when we get into Diamond is Unbreakable someday tenfold mm. like you have to figure out the rules by which your opponent is operating and exploiting that is the only way to defeat them okay. uh, if a stand happens to have a wider range of powers and looser rules they are always presented as particularly dangerous so there's going to be a few stands belonging to characters you can probably guess mm-hmm. that are going to have a little bit of a, of a wider scope okay and that is considered, like, freakishly strong and extra dangerous. Usually that is reserved for, like, big villains or, you know, heroes after they've come a long way. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you can kind of break or surpass your own stand's rules or figure out how to apply them in different ways, that's where your strength is coming from. Hmm. 
Uh, door, uh, you know, due to the story arc being longer than the previous two, Araki took uh, great care in deciding which stand users the main cast would face and when those battles would happen. He did not want similar or overlapping stands to appear too closely together. He also tried to play with the dynamics of each fight, i.e. one person versus one, or mm -hmm. one person versus a team, or a duo, uh, to keep things more exciting for readers. Okay. Uh, so the context is always kind of like shifted up, uh, who's facing who, mm -hmm. how they're going to, you know, whether or not they'll be at advantage, disadvantage, that kind of thing is, you know, yeah. again, keeps everything very, very dynamic. Uh, the main cast, to be updated in future installments as we keep going on. Uh, Jotaro Kujo, uh, his stand is Star Platinum. Uh, Joseph, he is Joseph's grandson and our new Jojo protagonist. Mm. Araki himself prefers loner-type heroes who do the right thing based on principle and not for uh. attention. Like bad Cinderella, yep. for instance, yep. yeah. Uh, his demeanor is directly inspired by Clint Eastwood, mm -hmm. uh, because Araki is a big fan of Eastwood, and based on the era that this is set, Jotaro could easily be an in-universe fan of Eastwood mm -hmm. himself. Um, his appearance, that of a character in a school uniform wandering through the desert, was inspired by Mitsutero Yokoyama's manga, Babel 2, which had a Babe similar... Two. I thought Babe 2, Pig in the City. Not Pig in the City. <laughs> no. Someday. Someday. Yeah. Oh, um, if we ever do Babe, I'm breaking out the tissues. <laughs> to cry. To cry. <laughs> Get that out of your mind. <laughs> <laughs> um, as we get to know the character, I think there's a discussion to be had about where his tough guy slash angry youth persona comes from. It is... No, it's definitely a discussion and something to think about because... He's a nicer person yeah, is than he, he presents Does he have the gooey as. center? Yeah, he he kind of <laughs> does. Does he be a little yeah. sundere? <laughs> but we'll see, you know, maybe even after we watch these four episodes, that's... We can start talking about that hmm. uh joseph joestar returning from the previous series as an old man uh he has the stand hermit purple uh he is uh, he serves as a mentor or navigator as iraqi puts it to the new characters and iraqi in deciding to put joseph joestar in here he, he doesn't like playing to nostalgia mm. he doesn't want to do something purely for nostalgia he wants it to have like a story purpose yeah. and as such he kind of considered, like, do I even want Joseph here? How long is he going to stick around? Mm -hmm. You know, what what is his ultimate fate? Is he going to leave at some point? Is, is something else going to happen? But but for the most part, Joseph sticks around for the entire season. Okay. He, he is a member of the core cast. Mm -hmm. um, true to its name, his stand Hermit Purple never fully manifests outside of Joseph's body like all of the other stands in the series do. Uh, it appears only as purple thorny vines, which uh, Araki designed to be a visual evolution of how Joseph used his Haman. Okay. Apparently, much later in a completely different saga, another character with Hermit Purple does fully manifest it, mm. but it's kind of just Joseph's thing in this series that Hermit Purple never fully reveals itself. Um, then we have Mohammed Avdol. His stand is Magician's Red, who has fire powers. Uh -huh. uh, he is a fortune teller from Cairo who acts as the group's sub-leader due to his steadfast and dutiful personality. Uh, Avdol's appearance could easily be considered stereotypical, mm -hmm. and Araki has described it, uh, not even in positive or negative terms, as a product of the times, based on how 
he and his, you know, readers being young Japanese kids would have viewed the world mm. uh, as in Avdol embodies, like, the cultural distance between the characters who start in Japan and have to go all the way to Egypt. Mm. So even if it's... The series is set in, like, the late 80s. He's obviously dressed like he's kind of, like, out of an Indiana Jones movie, mm. and it's... It, it, it... I think even Araki himself is, like, it could be problematic, it could be considered outdated or, you know, stereotypical, but it's just, like, he's the character who's there to represent, like, an exotic outside influence the to the Davis story. type. <laughs> Notably, Araki found Magician's Red Magician's Red's pyrokinetic abilities to be quite difficult to draw. Hmm. Uh, he also realized that fire-based abilities, in terms of how they're used in manga and such, can quickly break the power balance in a story if they are played too loosely. Hmm. Uh, Araki has thus stayed away from fire and poison powers as, you know, the, the larger series has continued. Had they to don't update show him in the patch, huh? Uh, sort of, yeah. But they, again, I, I'm pretty sure that this is consistent. Like, there hasn't been another one who can wield fire. There are some that can wield temperatures, I think. But he doesn't seem to like... And again, in terms of poison, there are also characters who can, like, infect other mm. ones with their stand abilities, but I think he's, you know, down the line, wielding flames is a little too OP, and just being straight up made of poison or, like, something like that is too OP, so we're not going to do that. Then we come to the U character, <laughs> I, at least I think. I mean, uh, I figured with that name. Noriaki <laughs> Kakuin. Uh, who is, uh, his stand is Hierophant Green. Uh, he is designed to be Jotaro's foil as a straight-laced honor student type with a properly worn uniform. I can see this in the art already. Uh, his, his fight with Jotaro serves to illustrate the difference between short and long-range stands. So it's like one drawback to Star Platinum early in this series. Close-range McNuggy. Close-range fighter. Yep. Something I would pick in a fighting game, yep. probably. I, yep, and I would choose the long-range. We gotta, we gotta, we gotta come to a, another character, <laughs> Jean-Pierre Polnareff. Mm -hmm. but, but you said to avoid spoilers. Yeah. He will not be explained. Yeah. With a name like that, you're just gonna leave me hanging? Next time. I suppose because... it's what I deserve for doing that to you and seeing Bad Cinderella. No, but, but getting to him, but because he literally, he's not going to show up until the very end of this batch of episodes. Like, he's a, a cliffhanger character. Mm. So he is a member of the main cast, but I'll save, because there's actually a lot that goes into his design uh, he is kind of like the dark horse of this season, so we'll we'll dedicate a section to him next week. Okay. Um, Dio, uh, I did not capitalize that on, <laughs> on uh, my own accord. Dio, it is you know it, to kind of symbolize how far his god complex has come. He only spells his name with caps, just like angry moms on Facebook now. <laughs> yes, um, he is. He returns as the main antagonist. His true power and the identity of his stand are something that the main cast is going to have to figure out. Uh, but he is the main villain back once again. You'll understand the context shortly when we watch. Uh, but big bad. Uh, then Enya the Hag. <laughs> Who can say where the day goes? <laughs> um, Enya the Hag is uh, currently, uh, at this point in the series, her stand isn't revealed just yet either, um, is another antagonist and one of Dio's most devout followers. Remember this old lady, because she has... I'll never forget an old lady. ...a lot of wide-reaching plot relevance. Okay. Um, and finally, Holly Cujo, <laughs> who is Joseph's daughter and Jotaro's mom. She married mm -hmm. uh, a man from Japan, uh, you know, something Cujo, and then that's... 
she she is an overarching presence, which okay. you will understand shortly. Um, as we mentioned in a previous podcast episode, I think when we started Phantom Blood, uh, Stardust Crusaders first received a 13-episode OVA in 1993. It was simply titled JoJo's Bizarre Adventure because the first two parts had never been adapted. Uh, the OVA was produced by Studio A-P-P-P, uh, and podcast great Satoshi Kon actually worked on a few mm. episodes of that season. Uh, the OVA was a very, very condensed adaptation that removed many stand battles and changed other elements to fit how uh, abbreviated it was. A seven-episode prequel series was then released in 2000, which was a very much abridged version of the events of Phantom Blood and Battle Tendency to serve as a prequel, you know, to fill in viewers who might have been unfamiliar. Yeah. Uh, the OVA notably garnered controversy due to a scene in which Dio <laughs> vows to kill Jotaro while reading the Quran. Oh, no. <laughs> in the original manga, it was just a nondescript book with fake text that was, like, too blurry to see, but... For whatever reason, the animators for that scene scanned Quran pages and put them into the animation Mm -hmm. frame. And obviously that, you don't do that. Um, That was was a huge controversy. It actually managed to delay the English version of the manga for a year. Like, Viz stopped publishing it for a bit and then resumed it. Um, Rocky also went back and altered manga pages in which... Uh, you know, religious sites were damaged in the mm-hmm. background of, of fights as our characters travel. Mm-hmm. Um, and the OVA was permanently cancelled at that point, and it is no longer officially distributed. I think you can probably... I think there might be rips of it on YouTube or other online mm-hmm. places, but it is not printed on... I think the last release would have been an early 2000s DVD, mm-hmm. um, but it's kind of erased Lost, from the books. Yeah. Um, then, finally, Part 3 <laughs> received a full anime adaptation in 2014 by David Production, following on from their adaptation of Parts 1 and 2 in JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, the animation. Uh, this is where our humble little po- podcast comes in, uh-huh. and where we, we will begin today. Oh my. So, any expectations? Well, I'm excited. JoJo has surprised me through and through. Mm-hmm. It's been my favorite pick of things that we have picked so far because it's always entertaining. I never know what to expect or what to happen. It's like a telenovela on crack. And now we get cool little stand characters? Yes. That sounds like a lot of fun to me with fashionable new hipsters and uh, what many describe as the favorite protagonist. Mm-hmm. Um, I know he's done a lot of like the artwork and the media and um, merchandise. Yeah, so like, one of he's... the most iconic, yeah, certainly. Yeah. I, before I watched this, I wouldn't have known those three characters were related, though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, that's interesting for me. I like the concept that it was intended to be like a three-part past, present, and future thing, but has expanded since mm-hmm. and given us more JoJo love. So, I'm always here for this anime. Yeah. I I am extremely excited to get into this. I think it'll be a very fun series to watch. Um, and obviously, it's a, it's a modern anime classic. Mm-hmm. I think in recent years, I mean, even perhaps in my own heart, <laughs> uh, Diamond is Unbreakable has kind of competed with it mm-hmm. for the As most beloved spot. Yep. But still, I think it's it's an anime we gotta do if we are an anime podcast. Yes. And I am, We're I am, an anime podcast? We are an anime podcast. Oh, oh, oh sometimes I forget. <laughs> a bad Cinderella podcast. <laughs> oh, so, oh, yeah. we'll, you know, happy to get into it. Happy yeah. to explore it with ye. So. Alright, well with that, let's get into the episode. Yeah. Aura, aura, aura. Rita Ora? Yes.
And we are back, everyone, having just watched the first four episodes of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Part 3, Stardust Crusaders. Any initial thoughts? What's going on? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I know what's going on. It's dead. dudes yeah. on a road I know, trip. I know. They, they got to get around well, it, to the world in 50 days. It's very simple, but it's <laughs> definitely a JoJo's plot. <laughs> no, of course. Yeah. I'm enjoying it. I like these new these new characters. There's no speed wagon yet that I hate. <laughs> no, and I don't think there will be. Um, but we went with the first four episodes. I figured we we needed all of these to kind of establish the plot. Yeah. It's not going to be a, like a straight shot where we're going to watch all of them, but uh, th- these first three not only introduce all of our major characters in one way or another, but uh, they kind of kind of you know, set the standard for for how this is going to play out, Mm -hmm. why the characters can't, you know, take certain routes, why they can't fly, for Mm -hmm. instance. Um, So I figured just important to get these four. It's a good premise. I like that uh, Dio's back. Mm -hmm. I do enjoy his his presence in these things. Yes. That he's a a Jonathan villain. Yes. Yeah, he... And, and these episodes really emphasize that uh, his charisma and yeah. sex appeal yeah, are... charisma, are, uniqueness, nerve, and talent, as they say in Drag Race. ...are, are yeah. second to none, and that is what makes him so dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> he's yeah. not just charisma! evil. <laughs> not just evil. Yeah. He, he's he's hot, so mm-hmm. that's, you know, that, that you know, makes him even more of a risk. And how many episodes in this, uh... This is 48 episodes. Okay. all right. Um, by itself, it more or less divided into two parts, mm. uh, reaching... Uh, kind of um, Egypt itself will take half the series almost, mm-hmm. and then the remainder finding Dio in Egypt is going to be, uh, you know, the second half. Okay. I, that's generally how it's divided. Yeah. Um, but we will start with episode one, The Man Possessed by an Evil Spirit. Mm-hmm. Uh, picking up from where we left off in the cliffhanger of uh, Battle Tendency, yep. we sk- flash forward to the 80s. 1983. Well, the the opening is 1983. Yes. So uh, 1983, uh, a Canary group of fishermen Islands. near mm-hmm. the Canary Islands uh, off the coast of Africa... Or uh, they, they fish up this gigantic, what we recognize to be a casket, but they think it's a treasure chest. <laughs> With the Dio's name on it. And by their estimates, this like this casket has been there for like a hundred years. Uh, but when they, they pull it up and bring it on board, obviously we, the, the viewers, recognize what that was. Dio's casket, but it is empty. So Dio is, is up to something. Um, meanwhile, then we, we skip ahead to 1987, uh, in Japan, where, uh, Jotaro Kujo, uh, a lone angry youth, yeah. is sitting in a prison cell. And already his design is definitely my favorite, just standard design. Okay, like, no. Like, what my, he wears is certainly cool. Mine too, yeah. <laughs> no, he's, he's definitely he looks my, like a, my favorite. looks like a, you know, BDSM biker bro, but fine, it's, it's okay. And his, his hat blends into his hair, if you notice, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so he doesn't take kindly to anyone trying to remove it. Um, but uh, his mother, Holly Cujo, <laughs> has been called in. Okay! <laughs> she is okay. Uh, a very sweet woman. Yeah. Um, and she has been called into the prisons. All like She she fears the worst. She fears that uh, her son has murdered somebody uh, because, you know, he has a temper and yeah. such. Again. <laughs> but in reality, he got into, like, a street brawl that he handily won. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was arrested just for, you know, disturbing the peace. But he is refusing to leave his prison cell mm-hmm. uh, despite just, you know, being signed out. Yeah. 
Uh, when Holly goes to try to reason with him, he orders his mom to stay away. Well, he calls her a bitch. He calls her a bitch. Yeah, multiple times. Why? You're nicest mom. Don't do that. Well, okay, well, this is no, this is the point of, of, of where we can discuss this, mm-hmm. is I, I think the general trend is that Holly has always been a very sweet, doting mom mm-hmm. to Jotaro, and Again, it's assumed that he developed this tough guy persona because his mom would always, like, publicly, you know, uh, maybe him. embarrass or, like, him, you baby know, him. over him, yeah. So, he very clearly loves his mama, but he has to pretend to, to be, be like, a a, tough. like a tough guy because mm-hmm. that was how he survived, I guess. Um, but, you know, Jojo and... Uh, well, Jotaro insists that he is uh, possessed by an evil spirit. Yeah. Uh, it almost took control of him in the fight, and you know he, he almost like killed those those guys. Mm-hmm. And he was refusing to leave the cell until he can figure out what to do because he's a dangerous. I do think that maybe it's very hard in these first few episodes to consider him anything other than a douchebag, mm-hmm. like outside. But I I can see how that's like. Oh, I'm keeping other people safe by locking myself up in here. Yeah, yeah, and he. I don't want to say he stays that way, but he he is he maintains that kind of cloud strife persona mm-hmm. the entire like. But you do see more, like you you kind of get his morals, his principles, and I think he becomes a little softer as okay. the as the series goes right. on. But but for see. the time being, I mean, he still is only a seventeen year old boy, so yeah. uh, he's still got some you know growing to do, I guess, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but for now he is—he is just a street tough. He's got a beer in jail. He's reading Shonen Jump, Dad. Yeah, the 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 spirit, according to Jotaro, uh, sometimes goes out of the cell and brings things back <laughs> for him things. and steals things. It it moves objects for him, and the other prisoners and you know the guards and such can see those objects levitating, but they cannot see what he sees. No. Uh, to make his point, he walks up to the bars of the jail cell. And with the evil spirit, he grabs one of the officer's guns and points it at his own head. And he kind of just to reiterate, like, okay, you couldn't see the arm taking it out of the holster. Holly can see it, though, right? Yes. She can see it vaguely? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. No, she can see it. Okay. Um, And then to to drive the point home, he points the gun at his own head and fires... (laughs) But the evil spirit catches the bullet. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, the audience, and presumably Holly, see that, you know, whatever this entity is, it manages to stop the bullet mere, like, centimeters from his head. Um, so Holly, not knowing what to do, calls in... Um, Grandpa! Uh, Grandpa, Daddy. Joseph Daddy. Joestar. Joseph Joestar. Who is her father, Jotaro's grandfather. Uh, he He's... Picking up where we last left off with him, he's angry at the people in the Japanese airport. Yeah, he's become a bit of a boomer. Yeah. Oh. Um, and, you know, he has, like, a, he meets with Holly, she, like, tickles him in public, <laughs> and is making these, a scene. These poor people at the airport and, like, the restaurants, they have to deal with these, and these planes have to deal with all these people's shenanigans. Um, but, you know, Joseph is there, Avdol, this, this, uh, I mean, we don't get his name right off the bat, yeah. but Avdol is there with him traveling, mm-hmm. um, and they go to confront Jotaro at the yeah, prison. It's time to get my grandson out of prison, out of jail. So at this point, Jotaro is, like, fully stocked his <laughs> prison cell with, like, a little toy racing car, a TV, droids. everything, and 
you Smash know, Smash Bros. hooked up. Joseph, or you know, and obviously the the cops are are completely despondent because if we if we call in that a, a kid with a ghost is tormenting us, then we're all going to lose our jobs. Mm-hmm. So Jotaro has been allowed to chill there for the time being. So Joseph arrives. And he's kind of like, you're going to get out of that cell and come with me. Like, you're, this is unbecoming of my grandson. Mm-hmm. You need to leave now. And, you know, if you do leave, we can give you some answers about what's going on. Yeah. And Jotaro and him kind of have, like, this little macho man standoff with each other. Where they're like, you know, Jotaro's like, no, I, I am not coming with you until I can figure this out. Because I hurt people. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it stands to reason that... All the all the the amounts of times people said stands in this, aside from stands, um, to kind of coax him out of the cell, uh, (laughs) Joseph motions for Avdol to come forward and and try his hand at it, and Avdol is like, "You told me to 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 only go halfway with this, but I may have to go uh, all the way." I'm I'm always thinking, may have to turn up the heat. That stupid like Burlington Coat Factory Bugs Bunny thing with the do you, do you know what i'm talking about no. where it's like sorry god i'm gonna have to go all the way this time no you, you never seen that meme no dan i haven't are you all sure right. you're okay you're yeah. not having a stroke over there no 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 <laughs> okay. it, it's but but avdol keeps going he's like i you know you, you told me that i could only you know, scare him a bit but i may have to you know take things to the next level because uh you know Jotaro's stand fully man well the evil spirit fully manifests mm-hmm. uh it has a As corporal form chicken. and it grabs Abdol's neck oh yeah and uh, Joseph and Abdol are both surprised because they're like all right at his age to be able to manifest a stand that clearly he he has to be packing some pretty awesome power mm. um and Abdol's like okay I'm going to have to like you know I'm not going to be able to just toy with him this, you know, he needs to be confronted. So Avdol summons his own, quote-unquote, evil spirit. Ultra Mega Chicken. Ultra Mega Chicken slash Rodan <laughs> slash Magician's Red, which yeah. is, uh, you know, fire-based stand. And he uses, uh, I believe it's called Red Bind, to throw Jotaro against the wall and, like, bind him in these flames. Mm-hmm. And then that's when Joseph explains that, you know, this so-called evil spirit is what we know as a stand. It is a manifestation of your life energy. It is your spirit made into a physical form, and it can always be seen standing. And I always you. thought they were saying stands, like music stands. Yeah, like Gaga stand. stand. No, but it's stand, <laughs> like stand behind you. Um, so, considering the awesome power of Jotaro's stand, he is able to kind of push through and break through Avdol's defenses. Uh, and kind of come closer to landing a hit on him, but Avdol kind of, like, shrugs and is like, well, you didn't realize it, but I got you to step out of yeah, the cell, I did so my job. my job is done. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, Jotaro is obviously flustered about that, but Joseph is like, if you want some answers, we'll go somewhere and we'll talk, you know, because there's a lot to unpack yeah. about this. Uh, so they go to this little cafe for brunch. It's a very awkward brunch. Uh, Jotaro, so you just found out that you have this demonic presence within you. Jotaro's being mean to his mom. Yeah. Um, and Joseph kind of clarifies that the reason that 
you know, he became involved in this entire situation is because he had a stand manifest in the past year, which mm-hmm. is Hermit Purple. Yep. And he summons it in the form of the vines that, that appear around his hand, and he smashes a 300,000 yen camera on the table, which he has to do... Every time he wants to use this power. Yes. My own head... I, I haven't looked too deep into this, but my own head canon is that he's not using the stand ability correctly. Like, he... Probably doesn't have to break the camera, camera. but that's just how he figured yeah. out how to do it. Yeah. So he keeps doing it. Um, later on in the series, Hermit Purple can, like, interact with some electronics occasionally, so it probably extends to something like that. <laughs> but uh, he smashes the camera, a Polaroid appears. Uh, <laughs> with a sexy backpick of uh, A sexy yeah. uh, blonde man yeah. pictured from behind. <laughs> and jo- Joseph explains that, you know, this is this is Dio. <laughs> Uh, his casket was pulled from the Atlantic Ocean near spot where uh, you know your great grandfather Jonathan Joestar perished at sea. Mm-hmm. Uh, we thought that Dio had perished along with him at that point, but he, you know, survived. His casket was pulled out. He was not in the casket, so we can only yeah. assume that he is once again active in the world and he has been up to something for the entire stretch of time for these mm-hmm. past. Four years, I believe it would be. Um, but more concerningly is is that Dio seems to have taken Jonathan Joestar's body. Yeah, based on the the neck tattoo or what? The birthmark. Yeah. It is, it is shown for the first time now that all Joestar descendants, someone of the direct mm-hmm. Joestar bloodline, has a star-shaped birthmark on just the under the neck. their neck. Mm-hmm. Uh, and based on this, it becomes clear that after Jonathan died on that burning ship, uh, Dio, who had been reduced to just, just a, a head, head in a jar at that mm-hmm. point, took that took his body for himself in order to survive and then get into the casket. Yeah, we had a whole season in between. Yes, yeah. Um, which did serve to fill yeah. in the vampire mask yeah. and, and, and things like that. The, the, the whole... It gave a lot more context for the Phantom Blood stuff. Um, but jo- uh, Joseph kind of postulates that because Dio is using Jonathan Joestar's body and is now active once again in awakening new powers, that kind of has a ripple effect that has, you know, echoed through the other Joestar descendants, mm-hmm. awakening these powers in both um, John uh, Joseph himself and Jotaro. Uh, luckily not Holly for the time being. And, you know, so in some ways their fates are, are inextricably linked. Mm-hmm. Um and we kind of get, I think we, this is the point, we get a little bit more lore, like Avdol kind of explains that, you know, stands are, they can manifest in a few ways. I was, Av- Avdol says that he was born being able to wield his stand, mm. but in other people, they kind of, they might spontaneously appear. Mm. Um, it, it's not always good, as we will find out. Avdol does provide some more lore about that, but... You know, Jotaro originally is kind of, like, not too keen on believing this, but he's already had the whole experience with the so-called evil spirit, so he, you know, does accept it. Yes. But either way, they kind of decide to just, you know, leave the awkward brunch and head back to the Kujo household to relax. Uh, Then we get Dio, who, sure enough... (laughs) Is is up to to villainy. Yeah. He's in a in a in a mysterious shadowy mansion, sucking people dry. And he's like, 
you know, <laughs> no one's going to stand in my way this time. Like, he's he's back, baby. <laughs> um, so that brings us to episode two, Who Will Be the Judge? Uh, we see on a regular school day, Jotaro will, you know, leave to go to school and Holly will insist on giving him a goodbye kiss. He'll call her a bitch or something to that effect. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he will go on his way to school, where he is fawned over by many uh, a girl, by 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 many gals. Yeah. Uh, they all think he's super dreamy. Um, while he is walking to school, he is being observed by a mysterious regal young man who is painting a crude photo, a crude photo of him. Uh, Jotaro sort of style photo goes to painting. walk down some stairs, and the observer. <laughs> makes a strike across the painting, similar to, like, a voodoo doll, mm-hmm. and slashes Jotaro's leg, causing him to fall down the stairs. Take a tumble. Not only that, but, like, it's enough of a, of, a, of uh, there's enough force behind it to kind of throw Jotaro into the air. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Jotaro is only able to cushion his fall by using uh, his stand to grab onto a tree branch and stop himself from falling. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the girls come and tend to him to see if he's okay, he just kind of rebuffs them again, uh, and then this regal individual formally <laughs> introduces himself, uh, he is Kakuin, he is a, uh, a new student who had just transferred to the school, and he gives Jotaro a handkerchief to tend to his leg. Um, that he doesn't use or open at the current point. But Jotaro's like, thanks, well, you know, didn't see you around before. <laughs> And they head to school. And hold on, let me just make sure. Okay, so yeah, I think so. I think we just get that uh, uh, Joseph and uh, Abdallah are just at the home. Well, we also get a little Dio moment. Dio is still in his manse. He is kind of wandering about, and he he confirms what was implied in the last episode that. His own awakening, his discovery of his stand abilities has caused that ripple effect through the Joestar bloodline, Mm -hmm. and he kind of sees this as a curse. Like, this was the trade-off in order for him to survive, was now he's bound to the Joestar clan. Mm -hmm. So in order to kind of purge himself of this impurity, he needs to wipe out the Joestar family. So that's, you know setting in motion that but he mm-hmm. he's already aware of the joe stars as we will find out and he has put things in motion to kill them uh so they uh are at the at the oh we get a little scene too where uh, joseph is like complaining about the, the instant coffee like he doesn't want tea mm-hmm. and he chooses to make some american instant coffee and it's says, terrible this japanese coffee sucks that's american coffee uh we cut to the nurse's office at jodoro's school <laughs> And, you know, Jotaro is in there getting his leg tended to. Well, two other boys are just on the bed. Other troublemakers are yeah. faking sick in there. Uh, the nurse says that she might have to, like, cut his pant leg to treat the wound properly. But Jotaro's like, I don't want to waste a pair of pants. I'll just, like, take them off over there and then you can, like, treat my leg. Mm. Um, while Jotaro is, is, you know, has his back turned, he checks the handkerchief and sees that there is, in fact, a threatening message on there from Cockween. Dad never finds those I leave for him, though. <laughs> threatening to out, kill him. Like, spelled out in alphabet soup for you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then threatening to kill him, and the nurse slowly enters, like, this possessed state, and begins brandishing her fountain ink, pen, fountain pen yeah. 
at the two troublemakers yeah. that are in the beds. And she's like, this is a thermometer. Don't tell me it's not a it's thermometer. right up your eyeball. Like, I'm, go- you know, you should take a closer look and stabs mm. one mm. of the kids yeah. through the eye with the fountain pen. Uh, this, again, with the other JoJo's here, like, this is not going to shy away from, from, from violence. So tell grandma ahead of time. Yeah. Um, the, you know, the nurse is kind of still violently lashing out. She almost does the same to Jotaro and even manages to, like, uh, you know, s- cut part of his cheek because she has unusual strength for just the school, school nurse. nurse. Um, and uh, quickly revealing himself to be the culprit behind this is Kakuin, who is sitting in the windowsill. He, yeah. had, he had ventured there. And uh, he is controlling the nurse via his stand, Hierophant Green. Um, and we kind of see that Hierophant Green is peeking out through her mouth. So Jotaro goes in closer, uh, and with kind of like a kiss of death move, has Star Platinum grab Hierophant Green with with its teeth and pull the other stand out, yeah. revealing it to be this long serpentine. Personally, I think one of my favorite, it's like a tapeworm, cool looking, uh, you know, spindly stand. Um, you know, and. Kakuin kind of says that, you know, Hierophant Green does not like appearing in large spaces, I can relate, and, you know, if you drag it out into the open, it's going to claim more victims. Um, Jotaro still manages to keep a hold on Hierophant Green, and he's like, this is all it can do, it's like a weird (laughs) piece of slime, like, this is nothing, I could squeeze it and crush it, and it will kill you. And... Kakuin is like, hmm, but that's not all it can do. Mm. And then it uses its uh, its emerald splash technique, which is kind of keeping in with its water, it watery theming. It summons this like you know a little little flow of water between its hands that mm-hmm. then manifests into uh, like a. I'm trying to think of a of a Digimon attack that this reminds me of, but it turns into a bunch of shooting emerald pieces mm-hmm. that are like highly uh destructive and the colors on these characters keep changing yes and that is a recurring thing it's Mm -hmm. just depending on the shading of the battle to kind of go with the mood Mm -hmm. that happens a lot in this series and it happens a lot in diamond is unbreakable Mm -hmm. so you will get used to it but usually it just signifies that the mood is shifting um but uh, through this emerald splash attack jotaro is uh is rocketed through the wall of the nurse's office uh, seemingly caught off guard (laughs) Um, and so at this point, it's kind of shown that the nurse is gravely wounded, uh, because as Kakuin stated, Hierophant Green wouldn't have harmed her had Jotaro just complied and allowed himself to be killed. Um, so he's trying to, to mess with Jotaro's head by saying, you know, you, this woman was an innocent victim of you just trying to stand up to me. Uh, but Jotaro is not phased. Uh, he takes, you know, stands up against him. Uh, once again, Kakuin tries to do the Emerald Splash, but this time, Jotaro's stand easily tanks it. It just absorbs it head-on and is not phased by it. Because, you know, previously it was simply that he was surprised. But, uh, you know, again, st- you know, the, the stand just shrugs off the Emerald Splash attack and delivers a beatdown onto Hierophant Green, which... Kind of similar to when Luffy fought Arlong, it, like, sends a shockwave that rips the school building <laughs> yeah. in half. 
Uh, and the other, you know, causing the teachers and the students to be like, what just happened? Did a gas main explode or something? Uh, but Kakuin is incapacitated, and, uh, you know, Jojo is going to bring him back home to interrogate him mm-hmm. to make sure that he survives. Oh, and the nurse does survive yeah. as well. She just needs to be treated soon. Yeah, a lot of questions for that faculty member that's going to find her there. And the other dead body that's yeah. there, too. Mm-hmm. Which brings us to episode three, The Curse of Dio. So uh, when, you know, Kakuin is brought back to the Kujo estate, uh, they kind of look him over and uh, Joseph and Avdol realize that um, Kakuin has a flesh bud (laughs) on his forehead, Mm. which is a, a tiny, grotesque little appendage made from Dio's cells that is kind of parasitically attached to Kakuin's head. And increasing his charisma! So, well, that's the thing, is that it's not as straightforward as mind control, it's more like an assurance. Uh, because as Avdol relates with his story, um, Avdol had actually previously encountered Dio in Egypt, because Avdol is a fortune teller from Egypt himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, he happened to have some forewarning of Dio from uh, Joseph. He encountered Dio in a back alley, bathed in moonlight. He uh, had alabaster skin and blonde hair. He, he was, was ripped. Yeah. He and was seductively seducing me. Like, I think Avdol even says, like, he was beautiful, yeah. but for a man. Mm-hmm. And, and then Dio almost kills him right then and there. And Avdol only, you know, with the couple of seconds advance notice that, that Joseph's information had given him, manages to, like, duck out his own window flee into the the maze-like city that he lived in, and that is what allowed him to escape Dio. He would not have otherwise, if he was just a regular person, he would not have survived. Um, But, you know, Avdol kind of just stresses the fact that Dio is extremely charismatic, and it wouldn't be difficult to imagine that he's ensnared like an army of followers Mm -hmm. based purely on his own charisma. But... To kind of seal the deal, he does have this flesh bud ability, which will kill uh, the person who kind of tries to resist his arrangement. In a few I years, guess. it says. Yeah, it yeah. Like, eats the brain. So inevitably, Kakuin is is going to die if this remains on him. Uh, Jotaro is not uh, content with that and uses his stand to extract the bud. Uh, his stand had previously demonstrated the ability to catch a bullet in midair, so he knows that his stand must have, like, high amounts of strength and precision, so he does successfully manage to remove the bud. Uh, even as the bud is trying to shoot one of its veins into Jotaro's own body, mm-hmm. but just before it manages to reach his his spine or his head, it, uh, you know, the stand pulls it out and smashes it. Oh, and then... Uh, Joseph uses uh, Hormone Overdrive to permanently destroy it. Because remember, Dio is still a vampire, so mm-hmm. he can't be exposed to sunlight. So, um, you know, they kind of let Kakuin recover there, and Kakuin himself is kind of taken aback by the fact that Jotaro would be willing to risk his own yeah. life to why save him. Why did you do it? I don't know. But and can't then can't say why. And Holly is eavesdropping, yeah. and she's like, "I knew he's a good yeah. boy." Like I th- see people. People don't know, but he is a good boy. Um, the next day, uh, there's like you know everyone's kind of getting ready in the morning. Uh, Joseph is upset because you gave me JoJo's pants. Yeah, and he's like, "These are nice pants. They but fit." I can't wear but... 
Um, everyone's kind of, like, looking around, and Avdol eventually comes across Holly, and she's unconscious in the kitchen. Um, from what Avdol can see, she has a stand that is manifesting on her back, um, but it is, it is also killing her. She is not someone, she is not, like, a martial artist or a particularly physically strong individual, and because it's manifesting through Dio's curse or Dio's influence... Um, it's killing her. It's killing her. It will kill her. Most likely within within 50 days is the benchmark that is, is given there. Um, even when he sees this, Joseph himself kind of, like, freaks out for a moment. He, like, uh, throws Jotaro into a cabinet. Um, but Jotaro kind of keeps his cool, and he's like, okay, there, is there something we can do? And Joseph uh, states that, they have to kill Dio. They have to find him before the 50-day benchmark is met, and he must be killed because if his curse subsides, then maybe the, the stand will be less... will not be fatal to Holly. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, they're, they're tending to... Holly is kind of, you know, Joseph and Jotaro are tending to Holly and kind of doting over mm-hmm. her. Um, Avdol goes to... Well, at first they yeah. use the spirit photography picture of Dio, and then they find like a fly. Yeah, in the background using JoJo's his uh, stand can uh, see and and draw sketch out exactly what it sees. Yeah, with his precision power, mm-hmm. his stand can zoom in on like the pixels of <laughs> this picture. Enhance. And Avdol goes and researches it, but then that's also when Avdol is researching it in the Kujo library. Uh, Kakuin kind of comes to him and is like, so is that Stan really able to kill its own host? And Adol's like, yeah, it, it happens all the time. Stan's manifest sometimes for no rhyme or reason. And people who are, don't see them think they're deadly diseases. Or just a strange, yeah, like a strange, unexplained illness that quickly kills the patient. Um, and then, then that was when I think we get the 50-day time limit. Uh, but again, you know, Joseph is kind of doting over Holly. He's like, uh, you know, brushing her hair, feeding her, getting her fruit, like cutting her nails, doing everything for her. Um, and Holly's like, oh, it's so nice. You know, everyone's so nice to me when I'm sick. It's a, it's a kind of a change of how things usually go. Yeah. And she, she kind of passes out again. And it's an interesting moment because... Everyone had kind of been saying, oh, Holly's too weak to, to wield this, like, that's why it's killing her. But but Joseph himself is like, Holly literally powered through it just now to pretend to be okay for us. Mm-hmm. So she is much stronger than we're giving her credit for. She probably wouldn't be able to, like, survive this in the first place if she wasn't strong. So, you know, she's a Joe star. Yeah. She has the spirit. She, but she's still in grave danger. So, um, you know, the the four goobers there being Jotaro, Joseph, Avdol, and Kakuin, who joins the group uh, just because the Joestar has extended that kindness yes. to him, resolve to go to Egypt to face Dio and defeat well, him. Well, Kakuin's joining because he's like, Holly helped me out, and if I knew someone like her who has like the ability to calm people down immediately, I would want to do anything to... Yeah, protect her and return the favor. Yeah, so he he feels the need to 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 protect her and help her, and he also says that he 
was like he first encountered Dio in Egypt. His family was on a vacation there, and that's when he was ensnared and fitted with the the flesh bud. Mm-hmm. Um, so he is is going to he's determined to travel with them to help resolve this. Yep. Uh, before they leave, uh, the Speedwagon Foundation arrives with a group of guards and doctors who are going to take care of Holly while the, the, boys, the boys are on, are on the road trip. Avdol yeah. um, kind of says, like, okay, if, if you're going to be a true stand user, you need to name your stand. So I'm a fortune teller. I have this tarot deck. Uh, you know, uh, pick one. The one that's on top, fate decrees, will be your stand mm-hmm. name. And Jotaro picks the star. So, it's Star Platinum, uh, who we know and love. Mm. And they board a plane to Egypt, but things are not going to go exactly no, as not, planned. Kind of like Money Plane, yeah. for instance. Uh, Oof, taking me back. Because they get an uneasy feeling that a stand user mm. is on this plane. And someone let this roach in there. <laughs> the stag beetle. So, uh, memes, <laughs> like, meme or serious... It becomes a very, very, very recurring plot that group is traveling, kind of like Samurai Jack. Mm -hmm. They take a stop. Something's off. (laughs) They say, is it an enemy stand user? It is an enemy stand user. And then they got to face that that stand user. So Mm -hmm. that that will be... We're going to see how many times this... (laughs) Not that it detracts from it, but we're going to see how many times throughout this season the boys get get conned by some obviously scary individual yeah. into doing something stupid related to their stand power. So it's going to be a recurring thing. You either you either get with it or you yeah. you get out. Yeah. That that's that's what happens. Uh, so that brings us to episode 4 Tower of Grey. Uh back at Dio's unknown uh, castle-like mansion, Old Hag. Enya the Hag yeah. is giving this speech about joy and fear kind of occupying a similar space in the mind. That when a uh, creature that is being preyed upon confronts the predator and knows they are about to die, uh, Enya postulates that that fear, like, feeling of fear is similar in the brain to, like, the euphoria of, like, absolute joy. Mm. So it's like, oh, it, it, it it's, this is, um... This is part of the human experience that these these emotions are tangled with each other. How Hellraiser of them. Yeah. And Dio is like, hmm, if I were a human, would I feel joy? And and he's like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And she, she says that uh, she's already dispatched a network of associates <laughs> to go and kill the Joestar clan. Um, and first and foremost, there is already a stand user on the, the plane. plane that they mm. are currently on. So, um, Jojo crew is on said plane, and they notice a stag beetle, which is very much out of place. It's a big stag beetle yeah. flying around. Uh, the other passengers are all asleep, so they have not noticed it yet. Um, but this, this big bug, uh, something weird about it. Something weird. It's got some odd coloration, and... It's going fast. It's going very, very fast. So, you know, Star, you know, the group kind of instantly deduces that this is probably the stand user, and Jotaro goes to catch it with Star Platinum, but despite the considerable speed of his stand, this stag beetle manages to dodge it without, like, Mm -hmm. a second thought. Um, So, very, very fast little bug. Uh... Avdol speculates that this could be the Tower of Grey, 
who is this mass murderer who is known for taking victims' tongues. Yeah, and striking in public transportation situations. Causing disasters, like, you presumably using this little bug to (laughs) kill, you know, either engineers or pilots or captains or things like that, cause these mass infrastructure disasters, um, and they've never been caught. Mm. Um, So, you know, uh, the the bug kind of gleefully, you know, (laughs) runs around the plane and just barrels through passengers' heads, just snipes Stealing their tongues. Stealing their tongues and, and boasting about it. Um, and then writing the word massacre. massacre and you know the friendly narrator is like massacre definition kill everyone uh and we also well that's also <laughs> going to happen a lot throughout the series but the uh we should also note that the little stag beetle has a a geiger tongue yeah uh not only is it a big beetle but it can shoot like a huge proboscis thing with a little bitey mouth mm. through any it manages to go through star platinum's uh, surface yeah. and almost, you know, kill Jotaro. Um, but uh, Avdol goes to confront it, but thankfully Kakuin points out, like, don't use your firepowers yeah, on, on a plane. plane. That's not a good idea. And Jotaro, don't punch anything because if you break the hole open, we're also going to die. Mm-hmm. So it's like, this is um, a-, a space that is ideal for sneaky stands like Hierophant Green. So Kakuin, you know, summons his own stand. Uh, seemingly the, um, the, the, the stand is, is way too fast for even higher fan green to do anything. Dodging all these emeralds. Dodging all the emeralds. Um, but this was all part of Kakuin's plan. Uh, he was using the emerald splash as a distraction while Hierophant Green's tendrils went in between the seats and ensnared the stag beetle, ripping it apart. Mm-hmm. Uh, we then see that a little old man who had previously gotten up to use the bathroom was in fact the Tower of Grey stand user. And Joe's just like, I should have known. He was old and ugly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but but he really was. He was like he had like a a beetle tattooed on his tongue, which was bisected in the like that was presumably his own serial killer trademark. Mm. Um, so uh, Joseph keenly notices that the plane is starting to list a little bit. So he goes into the cockpit to check, uh, you know, on the pilots. They are all dead. They yeah. were killed by the stag beetle before it confronted. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the rest of the Joe crew. The rest of the goobers go up. Jojo moves the flight attendants to the side. Move, oh. bitch. <laughs> In case we have a lot of Beatle fans listening yeah. to the podcast, which I would hope we do after everything yeah. we've been through at the this least point. we can have. I think it's a rhinoceros beetle. beetle. Yeah. Stag is the one with the horn. Yeah. It's the... Rhino has a horn, too. Well, yeah, but there's the one with the Heracross horn, and yeah. there's one with a curved horn. Yeah. The rhinoceros beetle has well, we play the... enough Animal Crossing, we should know this. Yeah. Maybe it is a stag beetle. Yeah. yeah is it? Hmm. Check the... <laughs> da, 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 da. Gotta check the notes. Great. Oh, it is stag beetle. Stag beetle. Yeah. There we go. Um, so, yeah, so the pilots are the pilots are dead, and <laughs> to the best of his ability, Joseph is going to have to <laughs> land the plane. And as per the previous seasons, he's like, you know, I've already been in two plane crashes. You know, being in three is really unlucky. Mm-hmm. I don't like that this keeps happening. Um, but, uh, you know, we get, like, a handful of other little details, like, um, Abdul kind of says, like, oh yeah, the, the the Tower of Grey killer didn't have a flesh butt on him, Mm. but he was already a sociopath who had killed tons of people, so presumably Dio has managed to just recruit 
psychopaths yes. to his his organization without needing to brainwash them. Like there are people who are just his followers out of loyalty. Um, and while they're all in the cockpit, uh, the Tower of Grey user who they thought was dead emerges again, and he's like, <laughs> throughout this part of the world, there are you know dozens of of dangerous stand users who def like whose abilities defy reality. So if I don't stop you here. You, there is no way that you will ever even live to see the coast of Egypt mm -hmm. before you fall at one of their hands. Um, but then he finally dies. So uh, Joseph manages to successfully land the plane at sea, and the closest port that they can get to is Hong Kong. Um, they're, they're going around, a street vendor... Rice porridge. Kakuin fills them in about yeah. rice because he's the most worldly. <laughs> he's like he's read a lot of books and he's traveled and he's yeah. been like, oh yes, I'll take a rice porridge with a hundred year egg, please. And you know, and then the vendor asks if they want hot cola, which Joseph, having grown up in America, takes great offense Sacrilege. to. We don't boil our cola here. We <laughs> take it. The, what would you say, the piss way? <laughs> I don't drink so I Take it the piss way. I think. That should be on the side of every Coke bottle from now on, Dan. Take it the piss way. Um, <laughs> but Joseph insists... Ooh, Joseph... That's a new one to add on a t-shirt. Take, <laughs> Take it the, the piss way. And there's not a mistake. Take it the piss way. Oh, um, that'll keep me up tonight. But, uh, you know, Joseph kind of advises that they go and eat at this, uh, like, his favorite little... His favorite restaurant, restaurant. Which is, yeah, which is, again, it's like one of his softer points because in the previous episode he was grumbling about having to you know identify his daughter as like by her japanese nickname yeah. and he's like I, I like american stuff i don't like this but his favorite restaurant in hong kong is like a like very much a fancy chinese restaurant mm -hmm. so it's like he he is a little more worldly than he lets on despite looking like a boomer yeah um so they they go to eat and they kind of set the ground rules that are important for informing the rest of the series. They cannot simply fly uh, on, like, a commercial airliner directly to Egypt because inevitably a stand user will get there with them and cause some kind of disaster that will endanger tons of innocent civilians around mm -hmm. them. So it is, you know, that's why they can't just fly there. They, they, can, rep like, they can take little charter jets if they want mm -hmm. to because Joseph can fly, but that is keeping them from taking, like, trains and planes directly there, because mm. they can't... They, they don't want anyone to get hurt because of them, which is admirable. Um, so, they're going to instead have to take a boat... Uh, Crossing I think, the Indian Ocean. Yeah, down through, like, the, I think the Singapore Strait, mm -hmm. and then go up and around to Egypt. Um, you know, because trying to go out it another way would either take them into, like, the desert... Or the Appalachian, not, not the Appalachian. <laughs> the Appalachian Mountains, yeah. No, what, what are the mountains? The Himalayas. Himalayas, yeah. yeah. Uh, they, they can't do that either. So, like, they're all pretty stressed about the plan because they only have 50 days, well, less so now. But uh, Joseph, true to Iraqi's intention, is like, no, guys, there was this book called <laughs> Around the World in 80 Days by Jules Verne. And if they could do it in 80, we could do it in 50. They used only steamships and steam <laughs> boats and yeah. steam trains, and, you know, we can do it with what we have in front of us. Uh, you know, so while at the restaurant, they are approached by a mysterious Frenchman. Frenchman. 
and you know he's French because he's got silver hair. He dresses just like a Frenchman. And, and, and like, gigantic half-egg earrings and, and everything else that the French are known for. And he's like, oh, I'm having trouble reading the menu. I'm a simple tourist here, you see. Uh, can you help me out? And Joseph incorrectly orders a bunch of stuff, like... <laughs> Uh, frog yep. and uh, oysters and things like that. Mm -hmm. But the food is delicious. They are kind of all, you know, enjoying it. But so what skill and craft has gone into this meal like these star-shaped carrots? Mm. Yeah, the the Frenchman is, is kind yeah. of like, do you know anyone who has anything star-shaped on their body? <laughs> and is like, this, this Frenchman is an enemy stand user. Yeah. And he manifests a, uh, a silver rapier yeah. through the table. Through soup? Almost stabs yeah. Joseph, but he dodges it. Um, and Avdol <laughs> is the first to kind of confront him. Mm -hmm. And uh, this, this unknown assailant is kind of like, um, I guess, you know, at Muhammad Avdol, you're going to be my first target well, today. he also lights a table on the fire. No, no, I was about yeah, to get yeah. to that. Yeah, he, using the, the swish and flick of his rapier... <sighs> He redirects Avdol's flames uh, onto a table and forms a ticking clock yeah. with fire. It says, by the time that clock is up, you'll be dead. So this individual uh, and their stand, Silver Chariot, hmm. certainly have some speed. Well, I've seen them in the opening as well. Yeah, you have. <laughs> yeah, so, so maybe, maybe the least they might be sticking around. Um, but, uh, at this point, it has not been clarified if this is a yet another assailant <laughs> sent by Dio, or what this person's motivations are, um, but Avdol is in for a fight, it seems, against, uh, this, 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 this Parisian fellow here. Um, and that brings us to a close we for these it. first four episodes. Yeah. Any thoughts so far? I'm enjoying it. I like all the Goober's designs. Uh, I, I, I like the, the premise of that we're touring the world and we can't go by plane to get immediately there. Mm -hmm. I do hope that they're going to have more Goober antics finding new stand users every episode, like oh, you said. Oh, they will. Yeah. I might say that's the entire if, season. If the more so. stupid, the better. <laughs> I'll love to see this. You ha we haven't even scratched the surface. <laughs> Great. If you don't like ooze, you're, yeah, oh. you're going to be in for a treat. Oh, boy. Treat this season. Mm. So, uh, but we'll get there. Mm. We'll get there. We'll get there soon. Um, but, again, thank you for watching this with me. <laughs> Very excited to get into this series. Yeah. I uh, hope our listeners are as well. Um, yeah. I think this I think this might be one of our bigger episodes. Yes. We had a lot to discuss. Yeah. So, before we bring things to a close, is there anywhere our audience can reach you? You can find me, Jonathan Kwiatkowski, at Losing My Mind JK on Instagram, Drink and Read JK on Twitter and the TikTok, and you can follow my other podcasts being Nightcaps at the Theater and Drink and Read. Of course. And you can follow me on Instagram at King underscore Danis, where I promise there will be some art coming soon, as well as our adjacent Anime Was Not a Mistake podcast, uh, Instagram, and Facebook accounts. Mm. So, thank you very much, listeners for listening yeah and then next week dan you know we're continuing the good powerful series we got some trigon to watch yes we'll be heading off to no man's land trying to repair a plant or two and uh i hear that dan's got a lot of double dollars double dollars <laughs> yeah on his bounty like the double dollar dimidome no oh, no here we go again <laughs> goodbye y'all sand in my boots <laughs> stand stand sand i don't know Here at Anime Was Not a Mistake, we have one mission. Whether you be a magical girl, a giant fighting robot, a raccoon, or just a fan of podcasts in general, we hope to one day arrive at a definitive answer to the following question. 
Is anime a mistake? While we obviously don't think so, there's no harm in expanding our weeb horizons now, is there? As of late, our humble little show is devoted to the analysis and discussion of movies, series, and episodes that show off that powerful art that is animation. However, none of this would be possible without listeners like you. If you like what you hear on Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and more, then why not support us on Instagram at Anime Was Not a Mistake Podcast or on Facebook at Anime Was Not a Mistake Pod. We promise to go happies on the sake with you. Join us, won't you? This time and the next. And with that, Dan and I leave you with a to be continued as the chill anime beats play. Sayonara.